Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And now, from the top. <laughs> What's good, Internet? It's August 5th, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio episode... 499. I can't believe it. They said it couldn't be done. We expected to be fired long ago. And yet here we are. I'm your host, Rob Zachney. I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. I'm going to, the, the rest of that is going to be in here somewhere. If not, just the Patrick beginning. Patrick <laughs> Ren popped her eyes as, as though we didn't expect to be gone from this plane. <laughs> like Ren, like the, the amount of times no, we've no, woken up thinking this is all over his numerous. No, I'm not surprised about that. I've just found, listen, I love the energy we're bringing to the space today. I love, I love the force. I love the vim and I love the vigor. All the media companies are doing layoffs right now. Everything's perfectly fine. Nothing will ever happen to Vice the next quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Renata Price. Uh, so we are we are all gathered here. We welcome back our producer Ricardo, the one true producer. I hope you enjoyed that <laughs> vacation. You're never gonna be able to take another one. Oh, Regret to inform you. Yeah, funny to get Rob. Rob it's the yin and the ass. yang. We we now we we uh, need no one to stream. We are all all powerful. I can play Elden Ring all day. No one can stop. Sadly, we've never been more dependent for podcasts. (laughs) I uh, mission mission critical component. I know y'all think that the the streaming situation is okay, but I'm just I'm just gonna get out in front of that and be like, hey, I think we get better quality the the other way around. I agree. Do we really want to get into this on the podcast? I don't, no. I don't, we, don't, we, don't we don't have to. No. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna put it out there. Hey, hey, look, listener. Bmix hey, has listeners. advantages. Hey, listeners. But also, if you've so noticed a difference in the streaming quality, doesn't have to be like content wise. I just mean like color wise, pixel wise, encoding wise. Let us know. I'd be I'd be interested yeah. to see if anyone actually says anything. Be honest. <laughs> I'm very I am I am very curious because I do know what chat noticed uh during oh, during the last week. Okay. Wait, what all happened? Right. What did I miss? <laughs> just there's very stable streams. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> just <laughs> very admirably stable. Like mm. a rock, really. Remember remember the, the Chevy that was Chevy, right? Like a rock. Well those those were that was OBS. OBS is a rock. And like a rock, it's it's kind of dumb. <laughs> Uh, like a little, you know, little it's dull, limited little, uh... in its function. <laughs> but if you meet it on its own terms, where you're like, 
I just need a rock. I just need to be able to stand on something sturdy and strong. OBS has got you. And yeah, occasionally you might see my desktop. Occasionally you might be like, hey, why is there like a weird crop on this? Hmm. I don't know. I can't fix this without going to OBS. But people like seeing how the magic is performed. I didn't watch all of uh, Patrick's Elden Ring stream. But for the amount of time I was there, I could not look away from the one pixel of the one space pixel between on, his on the webcam yeah, yeah, and the yeah. edge of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, was it was, was it pixel width? Yeah. I should have told you. Was it like pixel width or was it, one, was it literally one pixel? I think yeah, it's. I, li- I think that's the thing is that it's literally yeah. one pixel, and I don't know that anyone else two noticed. Two producers for Waypoint <laughs> noticed this and just well, one was on vacation. One was on vacation. One wasn't. It could just. I could just hit left on my. I was in chat. That's not a message. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying. No, no, no. I'm agreeing with you. I'm also incredulous that I didn't do this. Bad form, Renata. Yeah. Well, now I'm not going to fix it. I just So now the well, audience needs now to they, know. Now they know. The they reason that pixel exists. Oh, shit. Look, jail for everybody. Uh, <laughs> but apparently, especially jail for Bungie's most toxic audience. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, that's your transition. Okay. Yeah, that's the transition. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's jail uh, yet, um, but yeah. yeah, pivoting to a uh, wildly s- serious topic as I attempt to ground myself. Um, yes, there. Uh, look, uh, this all comes in a like a broader uh, game. Developers have. Much like ourselves, frankly, like or just being online, like you are online, you get harassed. Gamers uh, uh, specifically are very uh, broadly speaking, speaking entitled group. Um, But because games are on some level, you know, tied to the players and oh, communication should be open. uh, There is this feeling that, well, developers have to sort of take it because you are at the the whims of the consumer, the player in order to keep creating uh, the thing that you are making. Um, the difference uh, is is an is an approach of well, how do you deal with that problem? Um, you know, you have something like recently the when the God of War Ragnarok was uh, delayed until November, um, and tied up into that was uh, there were rumors of a blog post that we're going to announce a release date, like that that gets into the you know the pervasiveness of quote unquote leakers. But like the long and short of it was that. Uh, this game gets d- delayed and then uh, a bunch of, you know, angry gamers get online or sending dick pics to uh, like whoever they can find has a Twitter bio that says they work at uh, Sony Santa Monica. And then Sony's response to that is to have various developers like Corey Barlog uh, out there saying like, hey, please don't do this. This is disgusting. This doesn't represent what we think is the broader God of War community, yada, yada. Um, and that is t- typically the response is to like go on Twitter and say something to the effect of like, please don't do this. Um but that was like wildly different than what uh, Bungie did, which is to actually find someone who had been uh, 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 doing some, some pretty reprehensible things. Uh, let me, if I can quote from from here. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is from, <laughs> I don't know how I ended up with the New York Post article, which, so be careful what you read elsewhere in the New York Post. But, but um Bungie developers of the popular game Destiny 2 are suing Twitch streamer uh, Luca Leone for $150,000, alleging he cheated at the game, threatened to burn down their headquarters, and threatened one of their employees. Um, And 
they actually filed a lawsuit. Now, granted, they are using the pretext of somebody who is cheating, bragging about cheating, uh, and but in, in the process are including as part of the reasons that they are going after this person, uh, the fact that they are serially harassing and doxing individuals uh, who work uh, at Bungie. Um, and then the most recent, you know, details on this come from uh, like the, the lawsuit as it plays out in the courts. There's an article over at The Record um, uh, in which uh, the the reporter Gordon Paul uh, outlines um, da da da. Uh, on, on well, June this is a about- separate toxic uh, fan, right? Like this is about a like really like horrific racist he- response to Bungie spotlighting a correct like, a black creator. Yeah, yes, um, someone who's a, a, a black Destiny fan, and as a result of highlighting that on Twitter um, on the day of the tweet, uh, a campaign of doxing using the internet to reveal private information with a person and threats began. An anonymous person. Tweeted to Bungie accounts uh, a threat to kill employees on June 14th. Shortly after, several employees of Bungie began receiving voicemails and text messages on personal unpublished telephone numbers repeatedly using the racial slur uh, to quickly uh, refer to quickly as the the N word. Um, And like this is part of a series of things that Bungie then outlined in an interview with Axios saying, essentially, uh, we think these lawsuits are useful. We think this is an effective tool to to protect our employees. We think this is an effective tool to root out cheating um, and sees it as sort of like a multi-pronged approach that is better for players and their communities. Um, And it's just a really interesting way to tackle what has historically been a very challenging problem in video games, which is how do you deal with a hostile community? I should say this, this comes sort of like in parallel with Bungie getting out in front of people asking, hey, how come the developers don't seem to be hanging out in Reddit and other places more often or as frequently as they used to? And Bungie being sort of saying outright, like, it's not good for us. It's not helping anything. Anything we say gets tossed back at us and has resulted in doxing and harassment and threats. Um, and essentially a, a studio that has been pretty open about the process is saying, like, maybe we shouldn't. Um, while simultaneously, infor- you know, employing a law firm that is rooting out and like de-anonymizing some of the people uh, participating in the most egregious uh, behavior. Um, and I, I don't know, frankly, I'm sort of all for it. Fuck them. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, whatever they got to do to find folks like this and apply a little pressure in the hopes that it will cause systemic benefits. I don't know if it will work, but I do know that it feels satisfying and frequently <laughs> just find, finding ways for that to feel satisfying is difficult. Yeah, I was interested in the fact that, uh, like, in the piece from the record, they're going after the texting service uh, that is incorporated in Canada that presumably is being used to send these, like, burner messages uh, Mm -hmm. through. And, like, it's enormously hard to completely exterminate businesses like this that, like, facilitate um, abuse. Uh, You know, look at the long... uh, the long game whack-a-mole that the kiwi farms uh place for instance but like you know at the same time they i believe they've had to relocate their business several times uh and like have to find there's fewer and fewer uh like providers that will that will like give them uh space and so tutoring is also kind of an interesting precedent they're setting which is that it feels like in the past 
if you if you like take in pains to like mask your identity and there's nothing uh you know immediately identifiable that like could be used to to get at you that was kind of the end of it that it was like ah oh, well, well we'll just give up and here's a case where no we're going to start like working through the chain of cutouts that you're using to facilitate this kind of abuse which seems like a another really useful precedent to set right like i think there's a lot of businesses that uh facilitate this kind of thing mostly because nobody ever cares enough or has the resources really to press the point uh to to like into like civil court so i think that was that was another interesting angle to this because yeah there's a ton of like online throwaway tools to enable you to send harassing messages uh and like make it hard to trace who is the actual person behind this but if people start feeling less confident about their ability to like trust their ability to do that Hopefully that also has a chilling effect on their eagerness to do shit like this. Yeah, and it's not it's not shocking that uh the law firm law firm that uh that Bungie hired is uh I guess it's this firm called McGowan, which is uh long time been associated with uh the Pokemon company. Um a a company that uh is also infamous for being extremely aggressive legally um in a number of fashions, but uh uh especially uh, up to and including just people who are leaking information about the games ahead of time. And so this is sort of a specialty. It's not, not you know, not every law firm is going to have the ability to root out folks in this way, but it 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 makes sense that Bungie would partner up with somebody who spent their time f- figuring out who's leaking the new Pikachu uh, while also then trying to figure out, you know, who is tweeting, you know, harassing things that, you know, X or Y uh, Bungie employee and and the question for me becomes well what is this it's hard it's hard to sense like what does this actually mean for communities or this community in the short medium and long term I don't know because it's probably a, a combination of a bunch of different factors that result in you know a better relationship between an audience and and the makers of the thing that they're they're a fan of yeah I also I also do think that the thing that does not worry me, but I do think about when I hear this story is the ways in which um, the thing that I don't want this to do is to lead to a bunch of tools that are useful for anonymization for like people's safety to have a precedent for coming under like attack, right? Like journalists use tools that encrypt messages and, and protect the identities of sources all the time. Like if you want to buy weed in New York, chances are you are messaging someone on an app that somewhat anonymizes um, that information it depends, but there's stories that is now, an option. Yeah, there are stories. Yeah, um, <laughs> j- true. But it is an important part of people's livelihoods, and that is the the only thing I come like concerned about away from this story. Because like I think that most people can go fuck themselves, prison abolition all the way. But also go fuck yourself if you are going to actively try and ruin people's lives for uh, you know working on a a, a given t- like a given game or like writing about the industry. That's nonsense. Um, but I do come away worried. And like I part of this was me reading uh, in one of the other uh, pieces you linked, Patrick, to us. Uh, I actually went and looked at how Bungie tracked down someone who was doing false DMCA. Uh, oh, right. Uh, that was a good filings. one, too. Yeah. Uh, the person is apparently uh, amended complaint is seeking at least seven point six five million dollars. Um, <laughs> uh, also, these are all to my to my knowledge. These are all civil suits. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't say for sure, but I would, I would assume so. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
and so I, I looked through and the process by which they identified the person who was, uh, you know, doing those false DMCA claims is both fascinating, uh, deeply and also deeply indicative of the ways in which, uh, like our online identities and like foot, like footmarks are structured and how easy it was for this company to, it wasn't simple, but like there is a series of steps they were able to execute to identify exactly who was doing this based on the way they interacted with their community. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's not witchcraft. It's, it, right. If any, and frankly, it's a lot of what they do is is just journalism. They're just using, right. they're just using it to accuse someone of a of, of a you know a, a potential crime. Right. Um, so, uh, but but I think that's but I think that is an important point though is that these tools already exist, and that's where I kind of part ways mm. with the slippery slope argument, uh, where like they are establishing precedent for going after. Uh, people doing things the developer doesn't like but that already happens usually it's reserved for crime like crimes of les majest against the corporation uh mm-hmm. the fact that these tools are being used to run down the types of characters who make uh you know making like being a creator or being online uh, frequently miserable is just a case of slightly concerning tools that already exist being at least used for mm-hmm. uh a a decent end here but yes. this, this this is not equivalent to uh like bungie going out and commissioning a hacking firm for some sort of universal like unmasking tool that didn't exist before they got hold of it so mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i, I sort of look at where because you could where these things do historically tend to lead is like once these things once we create an easy villain that uses a certain like mode of communication because they're mm-hmm. easy to justify. Okay. Well let's speed up uh, and make easier the ways that we can identify and pin these people down. Uh, mm-hmm. That is absolutely what happens in like law enforcement uh, around things like this. Um, but here I look at it as really, this is like nobody put in the, like it's a novel strategy, but really it's just somebody putting in the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's right. it's and that's kind of the the difference is that for ages this has been, well, this is just the cost of doing business. Don't read the tweets. At 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 most, there would be like efforts to like repeatedly ban that person whenever they could pinpoint that it was a new account from that person in the game, for example, and things right. like that. But like that was as far as far as i can as a, as far as my memory goes like po- possibly other companies have done this but in general you would only see like the the company say like that's a, that's all the control we have over these things which is you know untrue right like you see nintendo go after people for other things just not this specific thing like patrick was saying earlier about them being famously litigious over a lot of things but also leakers which is like one of the least to me, at least, just like right. what, like who cares? Why did you yeah, yeah, spending right, time exactly. on that? Uh, well, right, and that's the thing. Like the companies will let you, <laughs> like basically Michael Myers developers. Yeah, and they're just like, man, it sucks that you're going through that. And then somebody <laughs> gets hold of a trailer, and it's like, uh, well, we are going to send this person to the Chateau d'If, and they will never be seen again. Yeah, oh, embarrassing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, 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 you know, it, what's interesting is that uh, this is a 
these companies, ha- you know, uh, Bungie, uh, Activision in particular, Epic as well, they've had no problem going after cheaters for years, right? So like when we yeah. talk about what is import- material important to the business, well, mm-hmm. they'll de- de-anonymize folks who are uh, advertising, using, proliferating cheater tools because that seems to undermine the core pitch of the games that they're publishing and selling and monetizing – but the key difference here, even if in the case of Bungie, where they're suing on the pretext of a, a cheater and someone advertising that that cheating on a, on a Twitch stream, the fact that they are also publicly and sort of doing a PR push around and putting in the legal paperwork, hey, the harassing is important as well. Maybe that doesn't like necessarily get them in the door to like file the 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 you know the suit, but by by prioritizing that as like, this is something that is important to us. We actually think the harassment of our employees has a material impact on our ability to make these games. That is not nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And I I at least appreciate that being part of the conversation of why these actions are being taken, not just, well, we're getting all these complaints about people cheating. And so Mm -hmm. people don't want to play the game as much, which is often the source of these 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 lawsuits and and frankly for for Nintendo and the leaking like I think they consider the leaking in essentially as a form of cheating because Nintendo exists so much on hype and speculation yep that that under that, that is a form of cheating to them obviously <laughs> I think it is egregious and yeah. ridiculous but I, I can see the through line and how they end up in that place and filing those lawsuits even if I profoundly disagree with uh like the, the logic of it um but in this case, I, I think it's important that they are at least, pu- you know, putting their money where their mouth is and not just saying, putting out a statement to a, uh, you know, a press person that asks about like, hey, what's up with these dick pics being sent to the developers? Well, we value our employees and we have lots of internal, you know, it's like, not nah, just sue the fuckers. Um, like, like, again, because it feels good. And then you you shoot off, a, you know, 20 different ways of dealing with a hostile community. And then hopefully you come back with lessons about what worked because- <laughs> Frankly, what what they've done so far, and I mean that sort of like broadly as video games, like hasn't worked. Like Mm -hmm. it is it is easier than ever to get in touch with game developers. Games are so much more intertwined as live service games with the day to day whims of communities that it is just frankly untenable to like have a such a close relationship with a player base uh, without more barriers or structures in place to have essentially yeah. like retaliation to the community when they step out of line. I mean, it's it's kind of wild to to see that they've kind of stepped back from even the Reddit community cuz their current community manager Cosmo came from the Reddit community like back in the original Destiny like era. Like he was just one of the users who was always like a good guy on there that applied for that job and got it. Like that community and that Reddit specifically are so wildly intertwined and it, you know, since Destiny 2, there has been a bit of a split where there's more general toxicity on that Reddit and more of the, like, less toxic people have kind of, you know, sloughed away to other, like, forums and other things uh, to get their information. But, like, Bungie, like, stuck around because that was, like, one of the main points of, of communication. Now that's now that's been shut off and, like, they're still doing their kind of weekly... Uh, they always, every week, Bungie, like every single Thursday, drop uh, a blog post of like what's going on, right? And like, that already is like a lot of communication, I feel like, for a company that big, making the product th- this size. A lot of, you know, a lot of developers don't uh, update their players like in that sort of direct one-to-one like 
it's written in a very like you know we're just having a conversation here and here's like what we're working on casual way uh instead of just like dropping patch notes and like saying here you go bye like and not not having any sort of you know rapport with the community uh so that the fact well i was all 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 that to say that so the fact that they're being pushed out of many of the spaces just because the toxicity has gotten this bad is like they tried to outreach and like you know choose and put like put forward people of the community that are like examples of like 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 this uh like this player umez who for example like they try to like highlight like people that are like good in their community and are like non-toxic and even that wasn't enough to like you know kind of create a, a, a safe space for their uh employees to interact with the community like there's always going to be some hole where the type of assholes that still enjoy the video game yeah. but will are going to want to send these sort of like horrible messages are going to like crawl out from when they you know if they can hide behind tools that allow them to anonymize a bunch of texts or things like that um right. but like but yeah it's can... like not for lack of trying like bungie really tried to like not control but like put forward a, an example of what they want from their community and they do it like week in week out they like at the end of every one of those bungee blogs there's like well, here's fan art here's you know videos that people have made like they're always trying to push the sense that they want a like non-toxic community and there's still going to be those assholes out there well so, and like, the two are not the two are not mutually exclusive and i think right. it's often presented as like a tension and moderation which really not but like I think for years, game developers sort of came in with a baseline assumption of it's it's been a while since you saw stuff like this. But I, I remember when I was starting out, you would see just bonkers stuff happening between uh, like in game communities. This when there were these stories were a lot more common because it was all novel to see a community uh, right. sort of acting out, and it would generate a lot of stories. But you would often get sort of a boilerplate response of. Well, like, listen, we understand our fans are are passionate and sort of talking <laughs> passionate, around that. Passionate, but passionate. But it's yes. it's like, and and it, and we get muddled because on the one hand, frequently, like, yep, communities responding to there are major issues with the way this thing is being operated, but also the thing that is getting attention and things driving conversation is like the community, like <laughs> taping sticks of dynamite together, basically, and hurling them, uh, like at at the devs. I, I also think that part of this whole situation is part of our industry right now and live service games in particular, the business model operates on the intense identification of the audience with the game, whether it be through the Mm -hmm. amount of time they invest in it, the relationships they build from it. Uh, But there is a, like structurally, the industry is in a space where the more people interact with the thing that you are making, the better, right? Um, From like a business perspective. And so I I think that part of what's happening is it creates this environment of constant proximity, and that constant proximity does not inherently lead to bad actors, but it does create an environment from which they can emerge, uh, and from which like they will emerge because this particular kind of identification is being encouraged. You can even, if you, you can even take this outside of games, right? If you look at the way in which, you know, Marvel fans can react wildly, or a certain subset of Marvel fans can react wildly to criticism of the series, it's because that series is built on 
consumption as identification, and it encourages that specific behavior, even if it, well, if it doesn't encourage it, it facilitates it. And I think that like, as games move into this more live service oriented mode, this is going to continue happening and could get worse. Uh, and so learning things like how do you model good community practices is going to be really important going forward. But I do wonder if I think modeling good practices is good. I often worry that it will never be enough because of the structure of the industry that we have built. Well, I think that's clearly like, I mean, like to the point that Bungie did model for years, like yeah. what a good practice could be. But and, but I do think like maybe what they are discovering is like to be healthy, there does need to be a stick in all this. Like mm -hmm. we like we will we will be open we will be proximate we will have a close community sh like around a shared passion you will also not just be exiled from that community but like if you cross enough lines we will find you like you will not like you eventually like underneath all this is a person um and and, and so like i think there's a lot there's a lot of benefit from having a healthy community that like operates according to healthy norms also means occasionally you're going to need some exemplary punishment uh, for people who like seriously transgress, um, especially because what you don't want is like routine close enforcement necessarily. Like there's a different that's a different strategy, but there's there is the school of thought that like you you're always intensively moderating. Um, but if you are going to have a model where it's like, hey, we're all just friends here, we're all like just be cool. That creates a lot of latitude, but when people have definitively stepped beyond the line of like being remotely cool, being deeply uncool, being evil, uh, there does need to be some mechanism in place to also show like, listen, there's there's also a different there's a different side of this relationship. There's a different way it can go. There is not to cornerly reference a short story, but there's a really excellent short story uh, by N.K. Jemison uh, called "The Ones Who Stay and Fight." It's basically a response to "The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas," um, which is a, another famous like short fiction story. And I think that it's less about, and the reason I'm referencing this is because I think it's less about punishing and like exemplary punishment, and it is more about the ways in which bad actors can spread an idea that something is viable, uh, and or that something is like a thing that people can do. And that is the bigger threat, right? It is less that you want to show people that there are consequences for their actions and more that excising a certain kind of person from your community is a way of going, these actions are do nothing and are impossible. Do not even let them enter your mind. Um, and that story is basically oriented around a like society in which there is like no fascism. And when fascists show up, you get them immediately because they will spread harm like a disease. And you have to treat them as such uh, and be like, okay, once you're aware of this, and that's another part of the short story I think is, is useful in this context. Once someone becomes aware of fascism as an ideology in this setting, you have two options. You leave because suddenly you put other people at risk through your awareness of it. Or you actively enlist in the group of people who are trying to push back against it. And I think that is where it is like a useful way to think about communities broadly, because like, really, you have two choices as, as a community, you either actively excise and work to actively excise consistently and with vigilance, or you do it every once in a while, and suddenly it festers and it ruins people's lives. Uh, and I think in most most communities we exist in, the latter has happened. 
uh, and the former takes a lot of work. And as much as I am generally uncertain about punishment as, as practice, I do think that deplatforming and removing people's access to tools that hurt people uh, is like the center of this story for me and the center of like what Bungie is doing is, is my hope that we take tools away that hurt people as opposed to like trying to exemplify why you shouldn't do something because people know the, why they shouldn't do something yeah and it's also the specificity i think I, i'm i'm pulling this out of, the, out of the back of my head as we talk about this topic but i think it was league or it was some other online service game that when they started doing bans they started doing specific about why people were banned yeah. and they were showing the actual in-game examples of like rather than just saying like a band for inflammatory comment. It was like, no, like here's them like saying the N word, like in the context. And it was, it made it so much more unsettling to see in the block, like why the person was removed from the community, what they did with specificity. And like, when you just see someone do an action and they are just removed from the community without like a broader acknowledgement or like how we got here, how this impacts the community, how this impacts other people, like part of a Bungie, is doing by like it sort of doesn't matter what happens with like this particular action against these particular individuals whether it's the text message service or the cheater uh but it's like it prompts us to talk about it it prompts a bunch of news articles it prompts a lot of discussion within communities about these actions being taken by these people and it's not abstract like it is specific it is human in a way that like when you just right click on someone and like ban them like it doesn't yeah, it gets rid of that actor, I suppose, briefly, but it really is only punitive against that person as opposed to a commentary on the community and its collective values. And so I think there is usefulness in these sorts of like broader public facing actions that start conversations that go to much deeper nuanced ways of like, how do we all conduct ourselves and how do we want to conduct ourselves that just don't happen when someone reports someone said something bad that goes through a, a customer's like, that's so important like that there's, that is a tool that can be used to, to, to out people that do uh, inflammatory and, and, and destructive things online. But I think there's also usefulness in like plucking these, mm -hmm. especially bad actors and you are platforming them to a certain degree, but you're platforming them to de to deplatform them, like in in a certain way. Uh, and that does seem useful. Um, maybe not as a tool to use every time, but for the most egregious examples, I think I think there is merit. So I think we'll set that aside for the moment. Uh, before we head off on our break, Kato, I did want to check in though on your break. Yeah, yeah. How was vacation? Vacation was great. I'm also very tired. <laughs> uh, part of that you is just vacation from your vacation jet lag uh, because I went to Colorado and then came back and that, you know, it's a t two hour difference is a little annoying. I was waking up pretty early over there, but it was still like not mm -hmm. early enough for what I would normally wake up on the East Coast. So I'm still adjusting. But yeah, I uh, visited my partner's family in Colorado and it was uh very cool but not chill one of those like we stayed at like three different four different places uh we were traveling every other day seeing a site doing a hike 
seeing a mountain. Can't do it. Like <laughs> this is so this, this yeah. right here is why vacation stressed me out as a kid. Because like I am a little like I just want to be a little homebody. I'm yeah. like no. I just want to be in my no. little. I would just want to be in my little space. I I would I need and, I need both kinds honestly because I yeah. do love like this was great. I got to see a bunch of places I'd never been before. I rode on a horse. That was awesome. We took a horse ride up a mountain. It was sick. Uh, Shout out horses. I love I love horses. I've never I this is like my third time riding a horse, uh, and this is the first time that I felt like I was actually driving the horse, which was neat. <laughs> well, the, uh, the other I times, feel like you're using the word driving, we might already <laughs> be on sort of a shaky footing with the with the union between like human and beast. I mean to say um, I mean to say that uh, it's that the other times were like shorter tours where the horses were very like ass to face in front of in a long line and like they were right. just following each other where this one right. was like you were just here, a passenger we're gonna, on the horse we're gonna, yeah. yeah exactly i was sitting on a horse but was it really but you riding were giving cues now and like it was right. responding to you yeah yeah this time yeah. i was like hello cinderella and i like gave her lots of pets Oh hell yeah! Your horse's <laughs> name was Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, mine was Absolutely. Cinderella. It's very cute. Uh, she was a uh, what? What color? What's the blonde c- color called normally? Like is I, that? I think Pinto or something. I don't know. No, yeah, I think that's just yeah. blonde. One, one. Right? one she, she, if you look, and I was like, that's blonde. Is is the picture that in your head? Bay for is the people modeling, who don't right? know the number, huh? Bay is the modeled one, right? Yeah, I think Bay usually has the spots. This was just like she was just like. Uh, a, a beige kind of blonde looking mm. horse blonde horse what's a blonde horse called and i think See i think this. i said this to to patrick when he got home from his vacation i was like there are two kinds of vacations one that is restful mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and not particularly fulfilling and the other one that is fulfilling uh and not particularly restful uh, and i will pick <laughs> i will pick the latter over the former every time uh for the most part but also like i don't know vacations vacations are i i like rob do not like going on vacations uh they they cause me distress well i will i will also say this though it is possible that my parents love of going to small midwestern tourist towns and just like spending the entire day shopping at so there's a term that michiganers use uh fudgies the people who like pour in from the rest of midwest (laughs) And they are suckers and they will just buy all the shitty tchotchkes in the shops. But the thing they are known for is buying all the fudge from like the fudge shops that are open seasonally that like it's not even that good fudge. But like <laughs> everyone's like, it's a tourist town. Oh, some of that Michigan fudge. Nobody eats that shit. Well, maybe they do. But like it's not like <laughs> chances are they're like it's it's not like, oh, man, we we love eating our, our regional dish. Fudge. Rob, this is the, the equivalent of whenever whenever I go somewhere, I'm like, what's your local beer? And they're like, uh, this? And I'm like, great, can't wait to drink that. Not because it's good, but because I just want something that's yeah. f- that's local as, a, as opposed to what I always have. But I just, look, when, when you're a child, there's only so many little, like, nautical-themed shops in Saugatuck, Michigan you can go to. <laughs> Uh, there's only so many books you can, you can buy on uh, nautical disasters of the Great Lakes. Uh, before you just are are straight up running out of things to do in this town, especially because your parents do not understand that this is a gay destination in the '90s, and so like a whole <laughs> bunch of the like a whole bunch of what Sagatuck is actually really good at uh, is not really like 
on the menu for the family vacation though your parents do keep commenting on how good these fucking juice and smoothie bars are why don't we have these where we're from and it's like well we will someday but right now it's 1994 and it's not going to be as common oh we almost had um uh what's it called uh funnel cakes from a place because they had apparently world famous funnel cakes Looking at the menu after I just the realized fact. I don't know uh, what a funnel cake looks like. We were talking about this what? on uh, Chef F1 the other day. What? No, <laughs> are they like spaghetti like? Yeah, I always, more like a, I always figured that it would more be like, like, a, like more like a pie, like uh, the, the front of a pie. No, that's been, like, cut up. Well, okay, a pie? that's close. It's like oh, it's a funnel it's cake like, because of its extrusion method. Yes, it's I like it's it was, a funnel. Okay, so it's see, like the fry. thing is, it's like fries. I always envision something much more unholy. Maybe it's like a thing. It's like it looks I, like a fry. That's no, it looks like a, no, 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 I no, no, always, no. Okay, I always imagined there was a. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. Rob was holding his hands right, 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 in a way me, that I'm like unsure what was going on. <laughs> what I'm was gonna, this? I don't. Just, there are fairies. I'm going to say something about the shape of funnel cake. I just, I never understood the appeal for being a receptacle for ice cream through the orifice <sighs> of a cake. I was like, that sounds weird, but people love it. I guess carny food, huh? Wild. Funnel cake <laughs> to me, to me looks like if you took like if you went to a child's playset mm-hmm. and uh-huh. you took like a plastic pile of fries mm-hmm. like like the piece of the playset that is pile of fries sure that is the shape of funnel cake the single pile no what the single pile yes the single like solid pile that is a bunch of shit that is like a bunch oh, yeah, of yeah, stuff yeah, together yeah, yeah yeah so like the little like plastic disc they're yes. meant to represent. But there's like, still fries kind of sticking out at an angle, aren't there? Yes, but sometimes you get funnel cake that does that. No! Yes! <laughs> what kind of funnel cake are you having? Funnel cake is all I grew flat. up in rural Ohio. What are you so talking about? So what's weird is, so Ren, funnel cake was like common where you were? Like yes. as a So just a couple hundred miles west, I don't know what the yes. fuck funnel cake is. We eat elephant ears where I'm from. The fuck is an elephant ear? Kato, you ever just take a tortilla and just shamefully cover it in sugar and cinnamon and fry it? <laughs> it's basically no. that, but with like fried, like with dough. Uh, you just take raw. That's basically what an elephant ear. It's a big floppy disc uh, that's covered in like sugar, um, yes. and it's unholy how good it is. I'll try. I would try that. Uh... Ren is posting, that's what, yeah, funnel cake. None of that looks like fries sticking up out of a little mound. Nor does it look like a funnel. No, it just made, you can see how it's made with a funnel, because it's stringy, and it's just coming out of the bottom of a funnel. Yeah, I just, this is the, I always thought the cake was funnel-like. You mean shaped like a, there, like, shaped like a... Yes, <laughs> yes, and, and so, but it turns out, so there is a Hungarian delicacy called huh. a chimney cake. Which is like a vertical cannoli, apparently. And they look quite good. There is a flatness to the funnel cake, yes, but there is a significant amount of protrusions. And the significant amount of protrusions, for me, bada me, makes it like a plate of fries. Ren thinks if she just keeps pasting more and more of these images, like at some point we'll just give up. The more oh, no, the, that, the more that are pasted, the less it looks like fries. Yeah, this is why 
what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> like, like, I don't know that the first one I was like, yeah, like no, that, that's fries. That's like sweet potato, like shoestring cut fries. Sure. Uh-huh. Third one, I'm like, that is a disc. That is a, that disc, is a disc of dough, dough that has extruded, been extruded. <laughs> okay, now we're getting zoomed in pictures to really show the essential fryness. If you are, here's the thing. If you are getting a, a normal ass funnel cake at a fair, yeah. if you're at a fair, yeah. it's not going to be a perfect disc. It's not a perfect disc. It's going to be disc. all fucked up looking because you're at a fair, you mm. little goblin. Yeah, but what a fair food, you little freak. It's going to be all fucked up. But what I'm saying, freaks don't go to like normal people go to fairs. Well, hold okay, on, well, but goblins and freaks work the fairs. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. They're the ones living well, off the funnel cake, and they, they control the menu. The people that work the fair and get treated I like, like shit. goblins and freaks. Yeah, I never said I'm that a they're little bad. freak. Not the way you said it. <laughs> there was a Eat bit a of garbage v- goblin and freak. Oh, you, yeah, you there was piece a of little... shit working that horribly underpaid job making these funnel cakes. You asshole. No, hold on, hold on. They're they're well paid, right? They're, they're scamming everybody. Also, I, also, so. I called Wooper a grinding <laughs> Oh, yeah, boy. I bet. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure they're really well paid. 401k and everything, Rob. <laughs> well, probably, like, but who has that these days? But I'll bet, you know, I'll bet, you know, 60 years ago, the 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 Carnival Workers Union uh, had, a, had a pretty great benefits package. Oh, shit. Okay. When I call Wooper a little grimy boy, I say it with love. Thank you very much. You mean Pooper? Wooper. What is happening? The, the Pokemon now. Whooper. <laughs> there's oh, a new like there's a new the brown version of Whooper that uh, some pe- some people on the internet have to take into calling Pooper because he is brown like poop. I think isn't the internet purple? is made up of children. <laughs> what? This is dark purple. No, this is Whooper, Rob. Rob, meet Whooper. That's Pooper. Sorry, did, that's did not Whooper. Say something to the effect of he's made up of children. No, what I said no. was the internet is made up of children because okay. they immediately- I was like, I was like, hey, Kato, tell me about this new Pokemon that just dropped. It's made of children. What sort of like, what um, sort of Ava ass Pokemon just came out? No, that exists. Well, uh, you know, who's to say how many of the spirits or ghost Pokemon may or may have not been, you know, the spirits of children trapped in fucking you know the wilderness or whatever and or stealing the souls of children uh that exists for sure in pokemon um but yeah there's a new there was a pokemon direct are we are we, are we switching to pokemon was... direct now because it uh it dropped some new announcements for the uh next uh, which is coming out very soon november 18th november is when 18th, the next yeah. the uh traditional time set of um Pokemon mainline games are coming out. And let me tell you, I don't know about that. These seem alright. The uh I like the uh, the designs a lot, but looking at the trailer in motion, it feels like the game might need a couple extra they months. Always, maybe. It always does. It always does and they always do. That's my counterpoint oh. is the Pokemon games always look like shit. It's just this is the closest one they have to to a video. This is the closest time the Pokemon company has gotten to releasing a video game in the mainline series that people actually want, which is which is astounding to me. In the last five years, this is the closest they've gotten to releasing a Pokemon game that makes people go, ah, yeah, yeah. I want to play that Pokemon game. I want to play that Pokemon it, it game. Has it has three main quests. Yeah, people have wanted more to do than the gym battles for fucking ever. Oh, you can tackle it in any <laughs> order. People have wanted to do that for fucking ever. Yeah, it it's, uh it has 
it has a an amount of openness that uh, a game like this has never had before. Uh, they say that you can, um, yeah, this is, sorry, Ren just posted a picture of a fucking motor, which I called, I swear, I, I don't know if I said this yeah. into a microphone or if I tweeted about it, but when this shit happened, when they first announced these, I was like, those Pokemon are fucking vehicles. You can, yeah, they you're look gonna like, ride them fucking, like a motorcycle. you're gonna ride them around like a fucking but, motorcycle, but which here's honestly. The, here's the thing though. Yeah. They gave these. They gave these dragon Pokemon. They're dragons with wheels like motorcycles. Yeah. One of them does use the wheels like a motorcycle uses a wheel. Right. The other one runs around like a dog. Yeah, yeah. It and just, just has the wheels there vestigially, and I think that's cruel. Well, I no, it has to, little jets. I, it has little jets that it floats over. No. Yeah. Look. It's propelled. It's magical. One of them needs the wheels because it is a, this one, the, the the red one that you, I don't know what the names are. No, the but, red one runs. The red one runs like a dog, Kato. It uses the wheels, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. The red one runs like a dog. That's... Go yeah, to... Go to find the, the fucking thing. Go to, wave, go to the yeah, Wayfair website. Is there a the wheel is a mouth on the one that no. runs like a dog? No, no, you can see the mouth on them. You can see the on mouth. On their heads, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, you're in right. Okay, yes, in, the, in the second yeah. image, yeah, there's a mouth. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna post there. a gif and you're gonna hate it. I'm gonna post a gif and you're just oh you're, Does gonna, it just you're use, gonna get so mad. But it uses it to propel itself. Right? No, it doesn't. Yeah. It does not Maybe even it uses a little bit. To make sick turns. Not even a little bit. Click play on this gif. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, what the fuck? Those okay, wheels are stationary. Hey, that is running like hey, a dog. The they they gave a fucking dog motorcycle wheels and he doesn't use them. That is cruel. <laughs> Only, oh. only a, only a. Meanwhile, cool. the other Pokemon's just cruising. Yeah, yeah, just going. Oh. The god oh who god. made this Pokemon is is creative in a cruel way. Arceus has been called cruel in the past. Yes, this this fucker <laughs> makes me so sad that they gave they made a dog a motorcycle and he cannot even ride. No, no, he just has to awkwardly run with those things on his carry. chest he has and to his carry butt. a motorcycle. Under his like belly, yeah, forever, forever, forever. Well, fuck it. He has to know that he's the first draft. He has to wake <laughs> up every day and look across the lake at whatever the other fucking motorcycle is and be like, "God damn it! Oh fuck! I could have been that. I could have been that. Damn it! Oh, <laughs> uh, why did I have to be the beta test? Fuck. Yeah. And also, I saw everyone loves Fido. Oh yeah, uh, a a dog made out of bread, which dough specifically. Yeah, dough. Uh, yeah, fie dough. He's not baked explicitly. Not Wait, baked. They were they were clear. He's a dough. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because he's soft to the touch. He's like soft and like. I can only assume like he will he will evolve into some sort of bread product. Rob's closing his eyes. <laughs> I mean, look, I like not to be in the whole like. Not to be like, oh, I bet they eat Pokemon. It is weird, they, though, right? It's uncomfortable. Is they, they, hold on. They eat Pokemon. We know this. There are Pokemon that you eat in the game. You and your Pokemon share Snorlax tails together in uh, Sword and Shield. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You're just like, hey, po- hey, my Pokemon buddy, it's time to eat a Snorlax tail. Yep. They made uh, a dog with smooth, moist skin. Who looks confused and... Maybe a little Listen. upset to be ex- to exist. Yeah, the I mean, like it feels like you'd be very sticky. Yeah, 
the two best kinds of Pokemon that there are, not types, but kinds, Mm -hmm. are little butlers and dogs with depression. (laughs) And, And Fido is so specifically both a little butler and a dog with depression that he feels pandering, and I do not trust him. I do not want anything. I do not want anything oh, wow. to do it's, with this it's dog. It's too many good things. You're like now you are like, now you're mm. trying to slip under my guard. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's already made a. Uh, let me see if I can find the source for this. We are going fan back art. to the pizza oven discourse. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. There's a Fido being kind of slightly not really fitting, smushed into no, a pizza oven no, of some it sort. It's gonna work. Oh, it, it uh, is funny, though. So, in addition to the Pokemon Direct, uh, Kato, you play anything while you're on break? Or are you just one yeah. with nature? No. I mean, I didn't. I played something when I got back. You know, this is the Friday. I was back Tuesday. And uh, as soon as I hit the ground, I wanted to check this out because it's one of my favorite games of this year. Citizen Sleeper released its first DLC uh, on the 28th, I believe, last week when I was out. Um, uh, called Flux, uh, which I played. Did you check it out yet, Ren? Or I've not gotten the chance to. Okay, I, uh, had some other codes come in. Um, it's really short. It's only like an hour and a uh, hour and a half to two hours, really. Um, mm-hmm. it's the first of three upcoming kind of expansions, which will all. I, I finished. I finished this one, and it will all. It seems like you know, be one continuous kind of story. Uh, it's um really interesting and it kind of to me solidifies the the idea that uh the kind of endings that me and ren got mm-hmm. are seen as canon uh yeah. not to spoil exactly what happens but uh it's interesting cuz the story a lot of the story of the base game of Citizen Sleeper is you coming to this new place and trying to, you know, uh, survive, make your way, uh, and either stick around or possibly leave or what have you. Uh, and this new one picks up kind of post game in a, in under the assumption that you've stayed, uh, and mm-hmm. made a home here and now mm-hmm. has you seeing this new situation from the perspective of um of of this being your home and yeah new people coming in uh mm-hmm. and what that does like basically um there's a flotilla of refugees from different uh space stations that have arrived at the eye which is the space station that you're on and you have to make choices about how to help them whether or not the eye there's like dis- discussion and debate about whether or not the eye can uh subsist or can survive with that many new people there's a blockade mm-hmm. that gets set up and you're you have choices about whether or not to uh uh smuggle uh certain things off of the off of the eye to help the flotilla and whether or not um uh whether or not you think it's sustainable to like help be like help them or if there's going to be need to be some other sort of like uh uh, situation figured out but essentially it's an interesting flip from uh the original game being mostly about you you being that newcomer to a place and finding 
your way there and then you having to be kind of not really a representative because you're there are and they make this like kind of immediately clear so some of the conflict comes from actual like authoritative bodies on the eye making decisions outside of uh the kind of purview of the citizenry and like uh you as a citizen kind of taking uh taking certain matters into your own hands and how much effect a single person can have versus like an administration of a space station in this specific uh case so um uh, I have I think, a question. Yeah. So this DLC is slotted to be played in the end game, essentially, when yeah. you can get to mm-hmm. the moment where you sort of broken the game's economy and sort of you can sort of self-select the ending or endings that you want to see. Yeah. Part of the fun of Citizen Sleeper is the tension before the economy is broken, the risk over your dice rolls, like will you survive? How will you survive? Does essentially just turn into this turn into a series of visual novel stories that you're just sorting through for 90 minutes because no longer is you rolling a dice going to have any consequence over your actions. And if so, does that feel like it kind of undermines this being put into Citizen Sleeper in the way that it is? Because that was kind of my worry over DLC for this game at all was when I finished it, I was like, cool, like, like balloon released all, all, all it's, it's, it's gone. I don't need to come back to this. Um, and because there is no risk reward for me if I was to jump back into it. There's something, they do something really interesting basically with, and I think, um, it has, it reintroduces a lot of the stress that comes from the beginning of the game, uh, kind of pointed in a different direction, uh, through different, you know, clocks and timetables. They're like Mm. reintroduced a lot of like, yeah, no, during this like two hours, I was, suddenly back in the mode of like, well, shit, now I've got to, if I'm trying to help these people, this is outside of my normal routine. Like I had gone in and played a few like weeks uh, near the end of the the game just to kind of live in that space for a little bit. And I had like a stock of stabilizer uh, kind of built up because there was, when the, when the game is kind of in that stasis in that like you're in a routine now, there isn't that tension that you were t- talking about. They reintroduced tension, and I was suddenly, like, kind of glad that I had had that downtime to build up some supplies, because even with, uh, not to get too far into spoilers, but even with um, the kind of uh, downtime I had, the stock of, like, supplies that I had, things were really, really tight uh, while I was, like, playing this DLC. Basically, just like, you know, it, it's... It, it, it introduce it's like you know something drastic happens in your life like even if you're normally fine unless you like have been hoarding wealth in a like exorbitant way crises will hit individuals and cause tension again even if they've been happy and stable for a while right and like they they did that they made this dlc like hit in that exact way of like now that i'm splitting my attention now that it's not just like all i have to do is like be in my community and survive and like because my community is helping me survive that's easy they've now introduced this outside element and your choices needing to like split your time there has reintroduced that original anxiety that i think the early game does really well um i think it's really neat uh that they were able to do that in a way that felt uh 
it didn't feel tacked on. It felt just like, oh, there's a, there's a new crisis, right? Like, my life has changed from this routine now. I am very glad to hear that. And I'm like excited that they have pointed the tension in new directions as opposed yes. to recreating the old tension. That is the that is the correct decision to make here, I think, yeah. uh, in terms of the narrative that they seem to want to be trying to tell. Yeah, it's 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 very well done, I think. And um, I think it's it's short. So if you want to like check it out, I would love to like, kind of discuss some of the more specifics in related when mo- more of y'all have checked it out. I'm curious, Patrick, if going back to it, how that will play out because you I probably won't. Early. I gotta be perfectly honest. It's only like, an hour and a half to it, no, be, because I, we went over, like without that's getting true. into yeah, what happened in true. my ending. No, that's true. I explored. Yeah. Z- I I found my ending. It felt definitive. There is nothing that would yeah. want to make me put that game under glass. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's and, and, and it is separate from like my desire to like. Hey, I got a code for Rollerdrome today. I'd really like to play that game. <laughs> like it is separate <laughs> from that. Because I felt I felt no compulsion to go back and see the other endings. I found my right. ending. It felt great. And it it was my uh, irritation is the wrong word. But when I saw how they were planning to roll out this DLC, I had concern because it felt in tension with the kind of finality that the game presents with your story, or at least the story I encountered and accepted, that there's no breadcrumbs at the end of that to like want to go back. And right. also... I wouldn't want to replay the game a second time because it does. It didn't strike me as a game that I would want to replay. I would. I, I was like, I had my play. I, I had my character. I had my arc. I'm done. Um, this seems like the kind of thing that if you haven't played Citizen Sleeper, what I would probably recommend is don't wait for these three DLCs to come out so it's all here and you can experience that all as part of like the complete package because these DLCs strike me more as like end game stuff that maybe I don't want to say should have like I don't know the development history of this game but it feels like it'll feel like a more complete holistic package with it all there as opposed to experiencing an ending and then going back experiencing these other stories and maybe they connect more thoughtfully to certain endings that have a sort of open-ended nature to them but like mine didn't and it's sort of like all right the book was closed like going back to an old save and seeking this stuff out just isn't really isn't really compelling to me Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's interesting given how the endings play out in that game um and how yeah, how final some of them really are. Um and I do think given the way that it's what happens after you hit an ending, I think does kind of signal the idea that they they wanted the uh the a certain outcome to be kind of quote unquote canonical, which is you know, yeah, it can be. Uh, a well, it's little, also there it, are it certain endings that make sale. it easier to add more content to the game too. <laughs> yeah, I also well, think that yeah, like but <laughs> it definitely feels like they're trying to they were trying to get at a specific type of story, and sure. that game has a thesis. Right, exactly. This is what this is what I was trying to say is that it, it has a point that it's trying to reach, and it has those other endings as things that are like possible because it wants to give people uh, that bit of agency, but. It does ultimately want to try to say a specific thing, and you only really get to that if you hit that one specific ending. Well, um, I don't know if I don't know if it only wants to say a specific thing. Like, I think the game has a thesis right. that it's because, like, you know, games do this. This is a thing that games do, yeah. right? The path that gives you the most content 
is generally accepted to be the intended path, quote unquote, because like that is how games as a medium work. They are based on time investment, blah, 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 right? That is often how like we are taught to think about games. But I think that Citizen Sleeper is interested in those other worlds, but has a belief about the core thesis that is that supersedes its interest in those other worlds. And it devotes more time to that thesis than any of the other questions that it asks. And like, I think that I think that leaves it in a, I think it's a tremendously written game. And I think the, the degree to which Patrick's talking about how it felt, how final it felt, it felt is like a testament to how tremendously written Citizen Sleeper is. It's almost so well written that like the thesis becomes buried underneath like how good the story feels uh, and how like final some endings can feel. And I think that is like an interesting fact, like, or not, or not an interesting <clears throat> fact, but an interesting thing about how this game affects like some people. Well, we will leave that uh, there for now, and we're going to take a quick ad break. And then when we come back, uh, we'll get into what Patrick Wren and myself uh, have been up to this last week. Back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we are back. Uh, Ren, before the show, you were talking a bit about your return to the Inner Sphere. Yeah. Oh, shit. Battletech Advanced 3062, or Battletech 3062 Advanced, is a total overhaul mod of the 2007, 2018 uh, game Battletech by Hairbrain Studios, uh, the Battletech Tactics game uh, that fucking owns. Uh, I love it very much. The total overhaul mod uh moves the setting a little bit in time uh just tweaks things just enough uh and adds in enough content that it feels like a different game and changes enough basic systems that it feels like a different game uh it adds in a bunch of clan mechs uh and a bunch of like clan like mechanics and like factions uh it does have a like war map like a factional like mm -hmm. war map where different factions are taking territory from one another and like if you are fighting in those border regions you are affecting how that war map is moving um and like how those factions are interacting with one another um so it's very it's 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 a good game it is uh, a lot more complex and i would say a lot more difficult than the base game well yeah, because it sounds like what they're doing, uh, mm -hmm. as somebody who used to be, like, it was obsessed with Battletech read the novels and mm -hmm. shit, like, the weird disconnect that always existed between Battletech, uh, as far as, like, game iterations of it mm -hmm. and the board games is that they were, as you might expect, focused on the big, cool, giant battling robots. 
and other types of units tended to appear incidentally to it. Uh, fighters were kind of a special case there because there was an actual board game, Aerotech, uh, about that stuff. But in the novels, the entire thing that's portrayed is like battle mechs are like the elite of the elite. Like they like when battle mm-hmm. battle mechs arrive on a planet, that's when shit is serious. But for the most part, armies are like they are knights. But for the most part, armies are comprised of foot soldiers and foot soldiers in this world are infantry with like high powered weapons or Mm -hmm. like tanks. We see a lot of those in battle tech, but they were mostly there to be tackling dummies for your, for your mechs. Uh, And so like you were always the mech Lance, your primary antagonist was the mech Lance. Right. And while they would refer to like a much larger war with like, you know, infantry fighting in the streets and, uh, you know, armed battleships uh, doing battle in the skies. Like, ultimately, you're still playing that, like, zoomed in, more board game like environment. And it sounds like this this mod is like, no, we want to make the full Mm -hmm. military sim war game version of Battletech about this, like, fictional universe, like 30 years in the future when the tech has changed. That's that kind of existed, right? Is the thing, Dark Age, the hero, the clicks version of. We're not. Look, look, it's a, <laughs> it's legit. This is what I'm saying. No, it they is. had the in the like in those in those games like the the sort of army that you would put forward was at most one maybe two mechs, and then the rest of your pieces were infantry with big ass guns. Come, and let's little get tanks. into Dark Age. Let's look. let's go on eBay <laughs> and start buying ourselves a set. I'm sure I, it's would, I, I think some of my old Dark Age shit is still at my parents' house. I would love to. Right, honestly, road trip to that Florida. shit was great. Road the trip click to system. The click system is actually like an amazing. By all like, accounts, like that was that was Jordan Wiseman, right? That was him, like getting out of Microsoft and being right. like, "Finally, I can do board game design again." Just like, uh, yeah, it it, it it's it was a good way to uh, track a lot of things quickly. And some people thought it was too easy, and I was like, "No, this is perfect." I still well, get to measure. I still get to fucking pull out the it. measuring tape to measure my mech movements and line of sight and all that shit. But I don't have like ten fucking pieces of paper with stats on it that I have to flip through. You like, know, it is weird. I, I remember I was so excited when the 25th anniversary thing from Catalyst Games came out for the BattleTech board game. Right. And I was like, "Oh, buckle up, friendos in the board game group. <laughs> You're in for a treat." And you unbox it and you're like, oh, my God, this is the most Ameritrash <laughs> design in history. Like, every, like party comes to a screeching halt as it's like. So if you can if you look at fire bottom yeah. fire, which uh, table fire modification table, right. that's that's table two six. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, so we're going to roll that and see if it applied. <laughs> yeah. And like and just hours of fun yeah. with that. Hours. Yeah. This is what. So, I, oh, my Ren, God. Wait. Can we buy this? Can we expense this? Hold, Hold on. Did Patrick you fu- found. Is this on oh, eBay? Uh, a bulk lot for okay. $69. I found nice. this on some website called katosbasement.net. <laughs> all right. So, <sighs> all right. So, Kato, you, you start building an eBay shopping list. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if you can Well, actually, that. maybe work on that while you go on call at your CSA. I told you this shit was a scam. They put you on call. It's like, fine. I just have to hand some people some fruit and shit. It'll be great. I'm I'm being a part of my community. 
Um, Your community's right here doing a podcast, Gatto. <laughs> You're like, sorry, have to go. Have to. I'm on call like a doctor to be a volunteer at my CSA. People won't get, people will die if I do not hand them the 25 wow. pounds of kale they don't want. Just like, like just look. I'm usually all in on a pylon, but Rob, back the fuck off. <laughs> Thank Just you. let him Thank like you. work at the agriculture place. Like <laughs> at the agriculture place. Um all of this is to say, it sounds like this this is that what Ren is describing immediately sent me back to specifically playing uh MechWarrior Dark Age, Mech MechWarrior Clicks uh game where it's like it, it had this sense of uh, a difference of scale, right? Like the uh, the the mechs were big and can take out like do a ton of damage, but because there were you played a lot more infantry, like the infantry were still you know in the battle. Uh, you know you had to be smart about how you place things, but like they weren't completely useless in the face of a mech. The mech was strong, but not completely invulnerable in the face of a lot of swarming infantry. You know, still interesting dynamics happening there. Does that happen? In this yeah. mod. Hey, hey, Ren, how invulnerable to sw- how how balanced to swarm infantry uh, in this mod? Tell me, tell me of what happens in the mech infantry interface. Okay, so all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this. I'm gonna talk about this with a story. So, one, I, I just want to be clear about the scale because I feel like it was it became muddled here. What you are what you are fielding when you are fielding a lance is you are fielding up to, I believe, a 12-member lance. Uh, That's a company. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, like definitionally now, it's like, nope, the lance is gone. The lance is a squad. You're commanding three. Three lances, yeah. It's a lot of of agents on the map. That is, uh, I believe, up to eight battle mechs. Four... Uh, eight, uh, infantry units uh, in terms of battle armors uh, or four vehicles. Uh, or you can do uh, six, four, two. You can do, a, there's a bunch of companies. Is it like a points by system do. or is No, it, uh, okay. slots. So for example, okay. your primary lance uh, is all that can be battle mechs uh, or vehicles. Your secondary uh, battle max vehicles or battle armors. Your second lance can be battle max or vehicles, and your third lance is battle armors only. Um, and that is kind of how it is it, how it is split up. Uh, at least in the point of the game, I believe you can get up to sixteen. Uh, there is a there is a condition in which you can field up to sixteen. Um, and so, I drop a lance of seven units uh, into a city. We drop, we hit the ground, we start moving towards the objective. I drive an APC up through the first move I do as I drive this APC up, drive the APC up, enemy contact. Right next to me, a building breaks open and a group of battle armors swarm out. Uh, uh, One battle armor squad. They mount the APC and they shred it instantly. Boom, gone. Pilot dead. That pilot is dead. That unit is gone. The next turn, guns turn, blast the infantry, blast the the, the mobile armors away. They are go- they are also gone in one turn. But vehicles retain the thing that that makes them vehicles in BattleTech, which means that they are vulnerable to melee. Some of these vehicles have like fourteen hundred health. They have like an obs- or like fourteen hundred armor. That's a lot of armor. 
but that's armor you can chew through with de- with dedicated fire. Um, like your battle mechs are going to be more maneuverable than most vehicles, uh, and mm-hmm. they're going to hit harder. Uh, and so there is a there is a balance there. But vehicles are also really good. They have a lot of potential, and so do mobile armors. Uh, sorry, sorry. So do battle armors. In the last mission, uh, or second last mission I had before starting the pod, uh, I fielded, uh, I'll be honest, what I'm going to say is pretty overkill, but that's because I didn't know uh, how bad Op 4 was going to be. We fielded six, uh, four uh, battle mechs, uh, an APC, uh, and uh, a uh, deployment of mobile armor. And against two battle mechs, uh, I expected a, a, a more significant op for. But what happens is I drive this APC up, the battle armors get out, they mount one of the battle mechs, and they mount center torso. And what they do is they get on the center torso and they use their little claws to peel back layers of armor, stuff, stick their guns in, and start fucking blasting. <laughs> Yo. And, and guess what? That shredded their armor really fast because the mobile armor, uh, the swarm attack itself does 30 damage, uh, 30 armor damage. Uh, and each of their weapons, uh, of the four man squad, uh, did 10 damage. Uh, and then I also had a couple of SRMs, uh, linked to one of them that had a total of eight shots. Uh, it was an SRM four. So basically they could output about 80 damage or 100 damage twice uh and then from then on it was just 60 that's substantial damage but the thing about the battle armors that rules is that they always hit the 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 squad hits the same spot so you are doing 80 damage directed towards a particular part of the body until that mech takes the time to shake you off they can either swat your units off, in which case they'll take a little bit of damage, but it ends their turn. Or they can do things like erratic maneuvering, which is basically the game is like, you can move this mech and you will drop the mobile armors from you, but you take an aim penalty that turn. Mm. Can you have a friendly hose you down? Uh, no, because that's a really good way to get shot because f- this mod also has friendly fire. Um, <laughs> that is a that is a terrific way to blast your own dude. Um, yeah, but if I have, well, that's the point. If I had a fire starter in my lance, though, I'd just be like, hit me. <laughs> I can yeah. I can eat that flamethrower damage. The thing is, these, that the mobile these armors can't. The mobile armors are a little bit resilient. Uh, they have, I believe, 160. Most of the ones that I've seen have like 160, 200 ish armor across the whole squad, so it's 200 total. Uh, that means you can one-shot one of them. If you fire an AC-10 or an AC-20 into a mobile armor, uh, into a battle armor, that fucker is dead. <laughs> you are going to kill a guy instantly. He does not have a chance. Um, but in this situation, we land at center torso. Tear away. Bah, 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 bah. Shakes us off. By the time it shakes us off, they have completely removed all armor from the center torso, at which point another mech walks up and fires a cluster AC-10 directly oh. into directly into center torso, and, oh. the, and the pilot just drops. <sighs> this all sounds great. Renata, wow. This sounds, this sounds like it went excellent. It did. Um, this was after the incident. This was a couple missions after the incident. Um, 
And the incident is uh, a mission that I went on. And this is to put into perspective that also the game's AI is a lot better than it used to be and mm. is, is extremely good at handling the tools it's been given. <laughs> and also the missions are a lot more complex now. I go into a mission and I'm told, you're going to assassinate two pirates. And they're probably going to have a support lance with them. But don't worry about it. I land. I'm fielding seven, uh, a seven-man team. Uh, five battle mechs, one APC, uh, and one uh, mobile armor. We hit the ground. We see the pirates off in the distance. We get closer. It is revealed. Uh, at this point in the game, I only have medium and light mechs. It is immediately revealed that one of the pirates we are trying to kill is a heavy. Oh no, things are already going terribly. <laughs> the second I see 70 tons on screen, I got up from my computer and said, oh, and then I took a 15 minute break. Sorry, I was what's like, your heaviest that's with you here? Uh, 50. I had a Wolverine. Okay. okay. So, so the uh, medium, um, medium mech, but like. It, fine but it's not gonna be able to fuck with a centurion right. i cannot go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a centurion are you kidding me so i get up i'm like this is hell i come back a few minutes later i sit down and i'm like let's move forward a little bit oh no that's a six-man lance oh no they only have two vehicles and the rest are all medium mechs oh no those vehicles are a, a srm boat and a laser boat, respectively. How much damage can that laser boat output in one turn? Oh, 180? 180 damage? This was the thing that always fucked me up when I would go and read the technical manuals. Like, the way vehicles are balanced historically in Battletech is, like, they can't move very much. But a lot of them are just covered in the most ridiculous weapons that exist in the game. And so you'd be watching it, and like, you'd be like, are these maybe sometimes better than mechs in some ways? <laughs> like I remember like, flipping through and like there was one where it's like, yeah, this tank just has three uh, PPC cannons on it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, so it's an awesome mech, but you could have like a whole squad of them snipe. Like what, what are we doing here? Like mechs are done. Uh, and so this happens. I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, well, I am confident I can handle this fight. I, I have good pilots and I have a good squad. Like I have I have good pilots and I have I have fielded good mechs for this situation. And then I get a calm message. Hey, there's another lance. Uh, a third party is dropping on your location. And then a drop zone appears next to me. Um like a third party isn't like a third side in the fight or just reinforcements yes. for oh shit. So wait, are they are they hostile to both? Yes. They Whoa! Drop. Wait, I think I missed that part. In and, the, it, mm -hmm. okay. and suddenly it's a three-way fight uh, between this squad who is sandwiched between us, uh, sandwiched between these two groups. And I'll be honest, this middle, this, this third-party squad got fucking obliterated. It was, it was hard to watch uh, because what happened was they dropped pretty early in the fight before I had, I had managed to get my hatchet man into close combat range with the six-man lance. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to let my hatchet man get shot in the back. I'm just going to kind of leave him near this drop zone. This was a hatchet man with an AC-20, Rob. And so 
Mm-hmm. They, they build mm-hmm. Hatchetman differently than they did. Oh, no. This is a custom Hatchetman. Yeah. This is a custom Hatchetman with an AC-20. Still got the and, axe, though? Yep. Christ. Hit with the axe for 45 damage, and then fire a 100 damage AC-20 shot center torso, and that's a dead mech. Um, and so the middle squad is dealt with relatively quickly uh, until they get behind my Strider, who is my sensor boat, uh, because it has the Beagle Probe, uh, which lets you sensor lock a bunch of enemies at once, which is really important in this mod, because evasion pips don't go away when you shoot an enemy. The only way to take away evasion pips Whoa. is to sensor lock them. Oh, so they went full ECM warfare in the... Yes. Oh my Which God, is okay. also why light mechs are super viable, even against heavies, yeah, is because like, light thought... mechs are so fast you can't fucking shoot them. Because in vanilla, I thought it was a kind of ingenious thing where like the light mechs just generates you have to chip away at the evasion so much before like you can really start guaranteeing. I thought that was a, a pretty smart thing, but eventually they were just not survivable right. in an environment where a ton of mechs are heavy and are shooting a lot. Like those pips will just get shaved off by a lot right. of incoming fire, and then the heavy weapons will hit and it's just done. It's what you they're just getting popped. Right. This and, is kind of mm-hmm. is you know it, but that's so profound. Like, is it a little OP? No, because melee still works. Melee doesn't have an evasion penalty. So if you're not careful <laughs> and you get your little fucker too close, you so are going like to get stepped like on. It's like a flyweight ba- boxing heavyweight where it's just like eventually it's like clomp. Yeah, exactly. Like you can get good damage in. And that's the thing, Rob. You remember that Centurion I mentioned? You know who took out the Centurion? A locust and a commando. Oh, that's embarrassing for that centurion. They just swarmed it. They swarmed this. They swarmed it uh, and just kept kicking it in the fucking shins and blasting it while a Wolverine was giving fire support from the distance. Uh, And like just like picking away at at its stability until it fell down and then they just ripped it apart. Um, But this 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 seven. Sorry, this six V six V four fight. Ended up down to I had one mech left because everyone else had been killed. Every other mech had been scrapped. And I mean scrapped. Uh we are talking like I got oh to God. the I got oh to the God. I got to like, the bay afterwards you're not and they were like, a lot of these. They're like they're like, yeah, we're I gotta be honest with you. That commando is not coming back. <laughs> so wait, hey, who's, who's, who's still in it? Who's still in it? The only person left is the Wolverine, who, and it's important to note, because this is where Battletech's-like characters really shine for me in this moment, the Wolverine was the starting mech of my commander, uh, whose name is Noble. Uh, my headcanon, of course, being that she is a f- she's pretending to be a noble. Uh, she's basically, her whole thing is that she's pretending to be a member of the nobility uh, while running this company to try and gain political favor uh, to... Um, like destabilize. Uh, I thought sure the squaddy named Poet was, it was your Poet. OC. Okay. No, no, Rob. Poet's the in-game character. What? Yes, Poet is the in-game character, and Poet was the person because Noble was injured. Noble was injured in a previous fight and had been lending her mech to Poet because Poet is a stellar fucking pilot, but started the game in a garbage mech. Uh, and so Poet is sitting there. She does not like fighting. That's the whole thing about the character is that like she is a she is a battle mech pilot because it pays the bills. She mm-hmm. has no love for being a mercenary, but she's good at it. And so this entire fight, 
I did not move her from where she dropped because she is a fucking incredible shot. And so the entire fight, everyone is running around uh, doing this, this combat and Poet's just sitting there with height advantage because height advantage matters a lot now in this mod. Uh, height advantage matters a ton. And she has enough that she's just able to sit there and take pot shots at people with an AC5 while they're distracted dealing with her with her friends. But it gets down to just Poet, a half a half functioning hunchback that is just on its absolute last legs. And that stupid fucking laser tank. I fire a shot. The center torso is exposed on the hunchback. The right torso is slightly damaged, but not all the way. The shot lands. It hits the lightly armored right torso and doesn't kill. The mech sways. It falls down. The laser boat pulls up and just finishes off Poet, who had been holding out for 24 oh rounds. Does Poet make it out? Yes. Okay. She made it out with okay. minor injuries. Okay. And here's the thing I love about this. The reason Noble wasn't in this fight is because she had been injured. And like, I like these characters as like a pair. And so it was this really cool moment of, okay, did I lose this? Yes. Did I lose all of my mechs? Yes. Did I even get paid? No, because guess fucking what? That hunchback was one of my job targets. I killed 10 mechs. Sorry, I killed eight mechs. And I didn't kill the one that mattered. And god. so I did not get paid. Oh my god. The ammo costs were $9,000. So I lost $9,000 on ammo costs alone. I didn't get paid. And then I had to spend, and this is not an exaggeration, about 700,000 C-bills repairing all of my mechs. And that's 700,000 C-bills after I had to scrap one and sell it for parts. That's incredible. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so, all of my pilots, Rob, were in the med bay for two months. How are you making money? We didn't for cool. two months. And then basically after that, the section of space I was in, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I'm not qualified to take on these fights with the crew I have. Oh, because God. the mechs so I have aren't go down and play in the miners nice which also meant i had to fly to the miners rob which costs money time and fuel yeah time and money uh-huh yep. and so by the time i get to a place that has uh folks at my level that i can handle with the with the with the lance that i've got uh and my, all of my pilots are healthy enough to be fielded in mechs uh, i have 400,000 C-bills. Okay. By, mech, by, by base game standards, that's respectable. That is the monthly operating cost uh, oh, for dear. my, for oh, my career. Dear. Uh -huh. yeah, I have this, one month's operating This is what happens when you're cost. operating a company, basically. Uh, uh -huh. Wow. Okay. So I'm curious, with the expanded scale of these things, yeah. how's it run? One's fine. Uh, it comes with a uh, uh, comes with a uh, basically a mod pack that uh, increases the game, improves the game performance. Uh, oh, nice! 
yeah, so it, it takes a while to load your first couple of times because it is basically prepping the cache. Uh, and so the first time you load up the game, it's going to be pretty choppy. But after that, subsequent loads, like subsequent like stuff is is pretty much fine. Uh, it has some slight memory leak issues. And here's the here's the kicker, though, Rob. And here's the thing that is the that is the thing that stops people that stops people we know from playing this mod. You can't do mid mission saves. It sounds like this could be really long missions, too. Yes. Yeah. OK, that's these, mis- these missions are so complex. The game can't save them because okay mm-hmm, there's just too much information and like their save system is not built for the oh. level of detail that they need to be able to get across and so some of these missions take like an hour yeah. hour plus uh and that is a problem uh for like if you want to do this but also it's so fucking good it is uh, i said something to rob before the pod and i feel like now with the information uh, that I've given him about the amount of money that I have and the amount of money that my crew costs. Uh, Rob, I'm going to reveal to you the decision that I made seconds before we started this call. Yeah. I had 1.5 million C-bills. That is three months pay. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the store uh, and I saw that they had an artillery tank for uh 710,000 seat bills. Uh and I did click purchase on that uh before closing the game. And hey, so- listen. It might if things don't go well in you will you will not make the payroll after this one. <laughs> but, you know, it sounds like maybe like if you you know, you're you're in, you're getting that millionaire mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you can't you can't take damage costs if you're just striking from afar uh, and just dominating the information war game I mean I, the, here's the thing about the artillery tank is that it's equipped with acid rounds Rob yeah I can soften people's armor and then and then roll up and blast it. I'm going to make so much money with that tank. Yeah. It definitely no, won't get immediately obliterated. That'll oh, never, yeah, no, that'll there's no way there's happen. no way that thing's going to be caught out of position uh, by a backline raider and just like destroyed Mm-mm. immediately. That's never. that's that's simply impossible. Uh, well, this sounds silly. this sounds fucking awesome. Uh, what's what is this mod again? Uh, BattleTech Advanced 3062. All right. Uh, well, I guess I guess we have to go back. Um, and maybe, maybe we need to stream. It sounds like this thing might be a little tricky to stream, but I think, mm-hmm. I think we might need to let Jesus take the wheel and, uh, and, and showcase this at some point soon. Yes, it is transcendent. Uh, Patrick, what have you been up to, uh, of late? Uh, I have spent, uh, most of this week being sick um, with a cold that is not COVID. I will say, alarmingly, you've sounded worse and worse just over the course of this call. I was like, at the start, I'd forgotten you were sick at all. And then midway through, I'm like, oh, that's right. Like, Patrick thought he might have, like, something that, like, looks a lot like COVID, but isn't. We know it's not. Yeah. But, like, you just feel like shit and sound like shit. Well, it's, you know, the course of a cold uh, in which you sound much worse than you feel as it like moves into your lungs yeah. and like works its way out. And anyway, I'm, I'm feeling much better than I have earlier this week, but uh, uh, I've been going to bed at 8 PM. I like, I pour a giant glass of NyQuil and say goodbye to my family. And it's like, I'll see you. At, I'll see you at 6 AM. Uh, uh, but I, I have spent some time with a game that I 
have been very curious about since it was announced uh, because I had not really heard about it until like a lot of people that I follow uh, on Twitter started kind of like losing their minds over it, which is uh, Live Alive, which is a, a new RPG from Square uh, that was just released on the Switch. And if you follow their history, we'll probably come to the PC in like six to nine months because um, Octopath Traveler and others of similarly have followed that that path uh, later. Uh, Live Alive is a game that, uh, you know, kind of blazes the trail for games like Chrono Trigger. It comes from the same era of the Super Nintendo, but is one that was never got more than a fan's tra- fan translation. Uh, it was, it was you know, sort of one of the rare RPGs that uh, kind of just locked um you know, in Japanese and was only sort of accessible to folks that, you know, jumped through the hoops of playing ROMs and uh, localizing. But it's a game that like would come up every once in a while, like sort of hushed tones in friends that are big fans of that like 90s era of JRPG and that like, hey, you can't really understand the arc of the genre without understanding Live Alive. But there's I just never got around to trying it in ROM form. Um, and uh, this is an, an instance in which Square out of nowhere with like no rumors attached to them ever <laughs> revisiting this property. There's never been a sequel. There's never been any sort of sense that they would want to go back to this game. There's not, there's reverence for it, but it's like reverence that you see on like an RPG website with the 10 JRPGs that haven't been released that you've never played. Um, it's not really a game where like drums have been banging for it. They decided to give it the, their like 2d HD treatment, uh, which we was sort of pioneered in, uh, Octopath Traveler and has been applied to, uh, was that our uh, triangle strategy? The the one that came out earlier mm-hmm. uh, this year. Um, so Live Alive is a game in which you are playing a series of vignettes, uh, short stories. The game opens with just, hey, here's a bunch of different moments in history. Pick one. So you've got prehistory, imperial China, like far history, present day. And you get a little character associated with it. Uh, it doesn't like present like a broad narrative. It doesn't present a main character. It doesn't present really which one you should play first. Uh, And so you just sort of jump in. I asked Twitter like, Hey, which, what is like the best one to play first? And a lot of people suggested what is called prehistory, which takes place with two very horny uh, characters from prehistoric, generically prehistoric times, a, a caveman and like his monkey friend. They're both very horny. Uh, and the other one is Imperial China, which is sort of kind of like a Kung Fu story of like a, a master uh, Kung Fu artist that knows they're at the end of the road and needs to find some disciples to train and like pass on their their knowledge. And that's a weird ass game. It like asks like some strange questions about like what is what does it mean to revisit an old game? Because it looks modern as hell because they do the this really gorgeous updated 2d treatment at the same time like let me list to you some of the quirks of this game that i only discovered after having addressed a walkthrough uh because i was confused so apparently when you beat the eight chapters of these eight different vignettes uh there's like a final battle that you can do um and (laughs) like in these different vignettes you have different characters uh, as part of your party, but there's like a main character who proceeds like to to be the is, is determined to be the main character and then can come to this final battle uh, at the at the end after you complete everything. Well, what you're supposed to do in <laughs> live live alive is 
strip all of the equipment off your other characters and put them on your main character because if you want them to be as powerful as possible for the final battle, but the game will not give you access to that other equipment. <clears throat> and so like all the walkthroughs that I would read afterwards is like, hey, by the way, this is the moment before there's like a point of no return. So you need to tear all of your other characters into the weakest possible versions of themselves, but all the best equipment on here so that that character with the best equipment will carry over to that final battle. And I was like, well, I didn't know that. I hope I'm not screwed oh for the final God. battle. I didn't do that for two chapters. Um, or you uh, have an instance in which uh, in, in the, in the prehistory one, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm just kind of thinking along. I'm just powerful enough to fight these different enemies. Uh, and then I just go through a door and fight a boss who dunks me in two hits. Now, thank God I had a save that I'd manually made about 15 minutes prior because the game's autosave was just in front of that uh, that boss battle. And so when I looked up a walkthrough, I was like, huh, is this a moment where the game is saying, you don't truly understand how the combat works. Uh, we're going to punish you until you figure it out. And the walkthrough is very explicit in saying, no, you need to spend 40 minutes grinding in this location so you could be level 8 to level 10 before you get to this boss fight because otherwise you're just not going to be able to handle it. Uh, and so there's quirks like that that are like real impediments, I think, to enjoying what I, which I, what I think is really cool about uh, this game, which is that the vignette uh, conceit is really neat and charming. You get access to a bunch of different aesthetics and worlds and characters. The prehistory one has no dialogue. Um, like that is sort of conveyed just through like really incredible sprite animation. Uh, the combat system is really interesting and weird. It's a grid based system that, uh, you are like kind of moving care. It's turn-based. So you can have three characters, but then you're moving them across a grid in sort of a tactical fashion. But then also you have control over their direction that they're facing. And mm. so you don't have to necessarily interact with the directional part of it, but it will increase the accuracy of your attack. So it's like you'll be moving along in a grid and then also then rotating the character in the direction that they're facing. In addition to that, when you, each of your attacks are, uh, charge at different rates. And so it has kind of the, ATB active time battle that you see introduced in like later JRPGs, but it happens in a staggered fashion. So like it'll be my character's turn. I will move them around the grid. I will set up their attack. And I know that one's not going to happen for like another five seconds, but I get moved over to the next character who can do another attack. And then in during all of that, one of the enemies can recognize oh, that fucker is doing a charge attack and they can interrupt my charge and just dismantle everything that I've done. And it's just a really unique novel combat system for a game uh of that era that it holds up as being really interesting now mm -hmm. uh but yes it is it is one where i guess my concluding point is it is it is the aesthetics present the game as much more modernized than it is mechanically and and uh systematically to the point that i would i would not tell people to play this game unless they played it before, like just have a walkthrough next to you. It's not going to spoil. Yeah, that's a lot of trapdoors. Dude, it's a ton uh, of... <laughs> this, this game, and to further illustrate it, is every time you go from one room to the next, there are like your standard, hey, here's some like gameplay, like tutorial tips of like how this game functions, because it has no tutorial. It doesn't explain the combat. You just get dropped into combat and it's like, start doing abilities, bro. Here's a grid, figure it out. Um, Which I thought was a bit, and it's like, oh, no, it's going to explain it later. No, like, it's not. But the, it's explained through these uh, sections in between loading screens. And I don't know if that is new or if that is old. Um, but 
the game it's so fast you can't read any of the tutorial screens they basically just appear and then go away and then the game says hey by the way if you didn't read that you can pull it up in a in a, in a different menu and it's like yeah of course i couldn't read it because you listed six lines of text and it was there for less than five seconds so it's 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 interesting and it got me like really thinking about what it means for these games to be released with modern aesthetics but then not do the kind of under the hood work that you would normally expect like at the same time square has just announced an update to uh what is it tactics ogre Ogre? like uh Mm -hmm. they're they're one of their strategy games and that game has a complete like reworking of class uh specifications like experience like and and they're charging full price for that but they're also charging full price for live alive this isn't this isn't like a 20 dollar budget re-release like they're saying hey this is the, the 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 full enchilada, and uh, I don't know. I think it's still really interesting, worth playing, but it really caught me off guard in terms of what I was expecting from revisiting a game like this. It is definitely rough around the edges in a way that it's funny to watch. I was reading the IGN walkthrough. Shoutouts to whoever's doing that walkthrough. You've been a force for good while I've been playing this game, but even they can't like restrain themselves of being like this fucking game right there's there's our, our secret bosses in each era of history and in the prehistory one it's some fiery mammoth and there's ba- like when you get to the strategy to fight the fiery mammoth the the walkthrough writer is just like look man shit's just luck like godspeed like here here's the the out the ability just to control yourself use. at this mammoth yeah yeah it's just like hopefully you've saved right before you encounter the mammoth which also, the game, like, should point out, the mammoth's just an invisible sprite that is wandering around this area, and the recommendation is just keep spamming the A button and Wait, hope so you get sucked it? into yeah. an, like, an yeah, impossible mammoth fight, yeah, like, yeah, out of the blue? Yeah, it's, and, and, like, the secret item in the area, they, they, they're like, hey, this is really helpful for your character, like, go and just, uh, go up to this invisible door and hit the A button a hundred times. So, it's things like that that are, uh... Not surprising of an you know an era of '90s RPGs, uh, JRPGs especially, but feel a little strange in 2022, and feel a little strange when otherwise you're looking at this incredible update to the art and an incredible update to the like sort of UI of the of the combat system. So it's an interesting game. I'm gonna keep playing it. Uh, I have a hard time seeing the it's one of the greatest JRPGs of all time, which is sort of like how it's talked about. I don't know how much that is rooted in people's history with it, um, but. I think it is definitely is really interesting. Um, and I, I definitely am going to continue to play. And I'm always a fan of games that are, hey, here's a two hour chapter and then you can go on to the next one. Cool. Yeah, I think I think that the the place it holds in like the genre's history is really fascinating. Like it is it is extremely experimental. Uh, yes. Like it, it, in the era is very experimental and is deeply influential. It's like I think it exists in a similar cultural place to are you familiar with Moon? Yes, I'm a, I was a huge fan of 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 Moon. I wrote a big feature about it a couple of years ago too. A game that also lots of games don't exist without Moon. Lots of games don't right. exist without Live Alive. Right, Undertale does not exist without Moon. It just it just does not. And like, yeah, exactly. That is the that is the the cultural position it has. I've been actually been meaning to get around to playing it because I think I will find it deeply exciting and fascinating because it sounds very much up my alley. Yeah, the the the, the ways in which they play with storytelling on a like chapter to chapter basis where like a lot of the storytelling that happens in the prehistory because there is no dialogue is both through the sprite work and then also like the item descriptions mm-hmm. um and even the item descriptions have their own unique grammar and vernacular um and it's just 
it's just interesting. If you can go in, you know, go into it with eyes wide open about like what it is. I, and I guess I would also say, I don't know that this is necessarily a better game if they do some of the work I'm even alluding to of like, wow, if like this, some of the mechanical stuff was a little smoother. I, I think people who are going to play this game, you're playing it because it's a historical artifact and you kind of want to mm-hmm. understand where it fits. Uh, I, I don't know that Square, Square themselves also was probably eyes wide open on like, hey, we're making this for a very particular audience. And I think it's cool as hell that they did revisit it at all mm-hmm. and did it in a fashion that is more than just, hey, we we did a localization and it's up on, you know, as, as an eShop game. I think that would have been cool right. anyway, but I think it's really neat that like it was given like internally they understood why this game was important and like treated it as though it was important in their re-release. And mm-hmm. that is cool. Yeah. It's, it's extremely sick. Always love to, always love to like be able to interact with like a historical artifact game. Yeah. I wish I'd go back and finish moon. I played a couple hours of it, never got around to, mm-hmm. to, to quite finishing it, but I, I was quite charmed by the, the, the hours that I did play. Yeah. Also, a, Jackson Tyler did a really great write up on this game as well over at Paste. Um, that, that is, is so ja- Jackson's review was I, I saw Jackson's tweets about the game uh, and then read it. I was like, I can't. I can see how Jackson arrives at the effusive praise. I can't get there with it, but I can I can see it, and that's part of why I wanted to play it was like I the wanted friction that. rubbed you a li- little bit raw. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Yes. Like, you know, is it cool? And I, like, and I suspect a the- lot of people would be in like, I suspect there's a lot of people who are like willing to meet it like halfway. Yes. But like there, you will, you will repeatedly stub your toe on these parts of it. Like, I, it's sort of like, yeah, like if you were like me, grew up with JRPGs, like this would have been one you would have played if it was available at the video store uh to rent but the effusive praise i see from some folks who for it i was like hey part of why i was interested in playing it was like i wonder how my memories and my nostalgia as someone that doesn't really play games like this or really enjoy games like this anymore because i've just sort of fallen off the mechanical appeal like it's just not for me uh anymore where, where do i arrive at this game and so i was trying to find like I feel like there are a lot of people like that. So like, this is where I like I landed on this game. I think it can still be interesting to you. Just sort of know what you're biting, know what you're biting off when you when you get into it. And I would recommend if you are going to end up playing this, the prehistory section is way more interesting. If you arrive, it, yes, it is the first in chronological order. It is the first one the game seems to recommend to you. It's kind of boring as shit. Um, and so the Imperial China one is going to throw you a little more off the deep end in terms of the combat. But I think the story is more interesting. And so I would I would start like a, a trusted friend who knows how I play games and what my relationship with JRPG is. I like, just start here. It'll either kind of get you or it won't. And it's a little more interesting than the prehistory one. So I just recommend Imperial China if you're uh, going to gonna start that game. Uh, so I have just started playing uh, South of the Circle, which is not a new game. I believe this has been out for a while on, on Apple Arcade. Uh, Apple. Yeah. I've been mean. I've I've seen. Speaking of games with effusive praise, I've heard this game to be like extremely good. I've just never gotten around to it. It is. It's quite the thing, uh, and the funny thing about it is, it is very much a. What's the way to put it? It's like the thinnest veneer of gameplay and like player input and like steering the story at all. 
on what amounts to a really, really good, like, BBC period drama is what it amounts to. Um, And it is so easy to imagine that if it is not quite this good, all the stuff where you're like slowly. So to get like the game opens uh, in Medias Res, you are you come to uh, in a small like like uh, prop plane that's crashed somewhere in Antarctica and the pilot is badly injured and your character a slightly uh, like nebbishy dude who's clearly a fish out of water here uh, in their conversation for whatever reason, nobody knows that they're on this trip. This is like an unauthorized thing. And your character has to strike out uh, onto, onto the, uh, the into the snow to try and get help. But as you are walking uh, and it's a beautifully realized effect, the, the animation style of this game is just incredible. Uh, this mm-hmm. is one of the best looking uh, games like of, of the year. Uh, it is an animation style we don't see a ton of. Um, it is highly stylized, but kind of abstracted. Uh, it reminds me of a I don't I don't know what to call oh this God. style. Yeah, like over on Shift of One, there was a movie we watched, uh, like Le Mans 1955 or something that was about like the Le Mans crash. It was a similar sort of style where it's all like in some ways a very realistic depiction, but like stripped down, like details stripped out. Textures are sort of like replaced with like blocks of color. Yeah, it looks it looks like it's like cut from pieces of paper. Yes. But then in motion, it's also so fluid that it feels like really delicately like mo-capped right. uh, in all of that. And so as your character is wandering through the wasteland, these trans every time it happens, you're kind of delighted because the scene transitions are so good. The present that you are in melts away into the past that gives you this backstory. And it is like, it is a story of late, like late fifties, early sixties, Britain, uh, Shake like confidence shaken in the wake of uh like a series of intelligence scandals. Uh, this is post the Suez crisis. Like this is a a country deep in the throes of not only just ex empire but fear of like internal communist subversion and the fact that uh you know the the rise of the the baby boomers uh is like profoundly changing the country and your character is a. Is, an, is a struggling academic at a apparently lesser uh, college at Cambridge and has some sort of ridiculous, magical realism ass theory uh, that he's trying to prove with his with his doctoral thesis. Mm-hmm. But also in the background here, he's sort of torn between two figures, uh, a a very a slightly what's the way to put it overbearing but also uh like very soft spoken uh like thesis director uh who's apparently a big wig at the college maybe even is the the head of the college and uh a 
young woman that your character meets uh, who is working in an adjacent field and and the friendship that they strike up. And all of it's just like really well performed. And what you do in all this, like where your input comes in for the most part is a bit like a, a night school game. You get prompts in the discussions how you want to answer uh, these things. And they're, they're on timers. They are fleeting. And so you will you will be able to you know, there's there's the big assertive, like strong answer. There's this like you're it's it's sort of it, I think it's identified as like the assertive confident response. And then there's like the sort of panicky concerned response, which is like your mm-hmm. circle button, uh, your your red button. And then there's kind of a, a soft turquoise uh, button that's like caring and open. But the thing is, you know, as is the case with a lot of these systems. How these things are expressed contextually will often surprise you and how they will play because your character is poorly socialized. Like <laughs> you will like it is laughable how like when you try to impress this girl when you meet her, if you do the like confident assertive thing, what you get is someone way too defensive and like trying to seem confident and strong but like missing by a mile like trying to like claim a competence and assurance that is evidently not not present <laughs> I, uh, I just looked up a uh, a trailer to, to to remind myself of how this game looks and one of the comments was uh it played this last year on ipad amazing game but i just wanted to shake peter sometimes dude. <laughs> which sounds like peter which is, like which is really interesting like i i i i think that's a really unexplored part of choice in games is subtly subverting like the player choice and the actions on screen in a way that feel uh satisfying but like slightly ajar from what the player like is intending for mm-hmm. the character to do to some to degree it makes for a different kind of role play um that sounds really fascinating well i i think i think that is especially the case with like uh, more wish fulfillmenty characters uh and like having in which i don't I have no idea if that is a, the, the situation here, but like in characters where in games where he you are designed to, uh, yeah, no, exactly. But here's the thing in characters <laughs> where you are designed to clearly identify with the protagonist, making the protagonist kind of a goofy fuck up, uh, or, 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 or a real human being, I think is, I think is a good decision. Cause I think so often games where you have choices like this, you are able to play a perfect person who the player is, is, is trying to put themselves into as opposed to trying to put yourself into this perspective character and them being a goofy fuck up and in doing so revealing, like you notice their goofy fuck upness that you would not in a game that was less critical of them. Yeah. And I, and I think the thing that the, the thing they, they hit pretty much right on the money is, He's not an aspirational character, but I think the reason you'll identify with him is he is a character who consistently misfires as a guy in his 20s that from the vantage of like being a better place of your life of your life or like more confident place in your life. Mm-hmm. You can see like, yep, this guy is making the same like doing the making the same mistakes out of like insecurity and uncertainty mm-hmm. of how to read cues that like a lot of people go through a phase. And then at some point you sort of are more comfortable in your own skin. You're in a better place. But like the thing that's frustrating about like Peter is it does keep coming out wrong unless you start like kind of accepting. Like I I started to feel like I did know who this guy was and I could steer him through the conversations better because I kind of knew which speed he was at. Mm -hmm. And I could sort of read like, 
oh, he just needs to own that he's not confident about this. Right. And then you hit that moment instead of like coming across like a huge wimp. He actually just comes across as a guy who like recognizes limitations is willing to be open about them. Uh, and there are places where if you're like, oh, this is the time to like when your uh, professor comes along to basically like give you some dark hints about like, dude, you're getting nowhere on your thesis. What the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Like if you choose the assertive response, he just completely like goes into uh like full mask mode and is mm-hmm. like yes sir absolutely no of course this is going to be fine i will all this is under control i am going to do everything you want i'm mm-hmm. gonna get through this conversation just fine and it's like okay so there you're not he doesn't like misfire and be like hey professor eat a dick uh like that's not what happens but instead he just goes into what people do in like these sort of systems of authority where it's like nope just going to get through this conversation as quickly as possible and choosing the assertive response enables him to basically be in sort of an immovable wall Mm -hmm. for the professor but like the main thing here is is really well executed um it was reminding me a lot of one of my favorite canceled shows from like a decade ago the hour and i realized that's because an actor from the hour is in this, uh, the, the boss character from the first season of the hour, which is an awesome show. I just watched the first season of the hour. Um, it's like, it's a period newsroom drama, uh, set against the backdrop of the Suez crisis and there's spy intrigue and all that. Mm -hmm. But like, it's, it's a little bit like the newsroom meets, uh, uh, like John le Carre. Uh, but it, works really well and doesn't have doesn't entirely have the preachiness of uh of of the newsroom but like peter is you're, you're sort of astonished this character is not played by ben uh ben wishaw because like absolutely this is a this is exactly that sort of like small flightless bird character uh yeah i have some questions now i'm, I'm really curious so does it feel like the game is when you feel like you hit a miscue, do you walk away from it feeling like you better understand what the actual, like what this character is feeling? I do. Um, and <laughs> I will say also, it doesn't really entirely feel like a miscue, which I think is a nice thing to pull off. Mm. It's like, nope, this is a different expression of the character, different thing came out, but it doesn't feel only very rarely have I felt like the games basically go, Argh. Very rarely. For the most part, it's like, yeah, that's how this that's how this like scene plays out in this talent. Right. Right. That that is how this this person doing this performance looks here with the emotion that they are feeling currently. Right. This yeah. is what the aggressive performance looks like with this particular emotional context. Uh I think that's really fascinating. This game sounds extremely exciting. Uh yeah. and as a occasionally uh socially awkward person in their early twenties. Uh, I feel like I should probably I should probably dig into this and that I will really, really like it. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, It is like I I was skeptical of it at first because I tend to be skeptical of these things that are basically like we're trying to create a what would be a prestige miniseries or something. Mm -hmm. But in the context of like a little narrative narrative adventure game uh, that you're basically doing Simon Says prompts for, Mm -hmm. I tend to be skeptical of that because like. 
it has to be super engaging on a intellectual emotional level mm-hmm. to make up for the fact that like mechanically it's less engaging yeah and I mean, within like in no time i was like oh man what's gonna happen next peter you gotta get I, out of there you're oh by the way if you're like, oh, I sure hope, I sure hope this is one of those games where something fucked up is happening in the Arctic and it's real spooky and weird. Worry not. Like immediately, like the first place you go, you're like, well, things gotten fucked up in the Arctic. Let's see how this goes. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very cool. I know we're running short on time, uh, so maybe we'll just hit one question uh, mm-hmm. from the uh, from the question bucket. Patrick, I'm curious if you remember this because I've never heard of this. Uh, Jay writes, did you have the Sega channel? I was born in the mid 80s, grew up in Western Colorado. I was lucky enough to have many of the early consoles, including the Sega Genesis. Our cable provider offered the service called Sega channel. My parents paid something like $15 a month and we got a cartridge that would plug into the Sega. The cartridge looked like a Sega game console, that was, but it was fat and oblong at the top. This console had a coax that would be screwed into the cartridge on the back, and each month we could play a selection of games curated by Sega Channel. Not sure if there's local, regional, national, or what. To play Sega Channel, I would reach my arm behind the fat TV to unscrew the coax from the back of our fat TV and screw it into the Sega Channel cartridge. Once screwed in, turning on the Sega would take us to a menu, I can't remember what it looked like, with 99, I think, games that we could play for free. Somehow saves were still possible for the month, but once the monthly turnover happened, all that save data would be lost. RIP uh, my and David's Oakland Athletics t- teams in RBI Baseball. Uh, we were on a Little League team named after the A's, and the Rockies didn't exist yet. I played so many games with my friends they don't even know the, know the name of. We were young, so we just remembered the games by ourselves. One was Back-to-Back Fighters, a side-scroller that was maybe popular where you could pick up different bubbles to change or upgrade your weapons. Uh <laughs> Let's uh let's a bunch of games here. Uh, eventually, I got a an N sixty four and Sega Channel died. Though I doubt it saved my parents any money due to the cost of N sixty four games as opposed to not purchasing Sega games. I guess the question is, did the members of Waypoint know about or have any have you have you ever heard of the Sega Channel? What made this tech possible for Sega, but not something like the N sixty four? Where did the tech go until I heard about Steam? All the best, Jay. Uh, we were a Nintendo house, but, uh, I would constantly read about the Sega channel and was jealous of it because it just sounded neat. I remember growing up, I was really into the Mega Man games. And so I was always looking forward to whatever the new Mega Man game would be. And my experience with Mega Man games was largely Mega Man 2 and then a big jump to Mega Man X, um, on the Super Nintendo. And so until they did their like big compilation uh, which was on the PS2, Xbox, and GameCube, where I had a chance to like, go back and play like Mega Man 1 through 6. Uh, I was always kind of like interested in a chance to play some of those earlier games, and uh, Mega Man The Wily Wars is a game that was released in only on the Sega channel. It was a Genesis compilation of, I think, Mega Man 1 through 3, uh, I, I, I think. Uh, and... Which was notable if you were a Sega fan because, like, the Mega Man games were basically a Nintendo-only thing until uh, this, like, the, the Wily Wars arrived through the the, the Sega channel. Um, so, no, I did not have a chance to engage with it myself. Uh, I tr- tried to convince my friend down the street who had a Genesis to to do it, but it was a it was a tough pitch to say, 
hey, what can you pay, you know, ten ten dollars a month for this subscription service for video games? Like it didn't not really a thing back uh back then. Um but uh yeah, I was I was tangentially aware of it, but never had a chance to to use it myself. But it was a really noteworthy service. Out. Huh? I am freaked out that like this is Game so Pass sick. existed through this cable. This is so fucking cool. I'm I'm like I when you said it was through a coaxial cable, I'm just this is so plugging a coaxial cable into a cartridge that is fucking sick. That <laughs> rules so hard. This whole thing is it, stuff ah, like this happened all the like a lot of the cool shit just stayed in Japan. Like what's interesting about the Sega channel is that it came here, right? And so uh you know like there's uh uh it's pick what it was called on the on the the NES but like there was like you could take a cartridge to a kiosk and pick out a game that got downloaded to that cartridge and then you brought it brought it back to your NES. So it was not a thing that happened over here, but it was uh and there was there was internet support on the original NES. Like all the cool experimental internet stuff was happening on consoles. It just rarely came here, which is what made Sega Channel such a bizarre uh bizarre by our own like standards and expectations, because that normally that stuff like just did not make it. Uh, over here but uh yeah i cannot speak to anyone i did not know a single yeah. soul that uh that had it but also it was just the case that at least in my suburbia it was like you went to, everyone had super nintendos and then one person had the genesis and would you got to go over there because you wanted to play eternal champions uh and yeah. because it was gorier than what you could get on your super nintendo <laughs> I remember that the, the 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 maturity of the Genesis was such a like I it was such a selling point against the undeniably stronger lineup of the SNES. But you just be like, man, I wish I had that Vector Man, bro. It's great. I love Vector Man. Vector Man was fine, but all right. So uh, thank you for that question, Jay. Remember, you can send in all your questions to gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. That is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Klubik. Ren. At Ren or Raven. You can also check out what we've published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, we've all been blogging up a storm, really. Ren is on Multiversus. Uh, I am completely feral and writing about F1 and uh, being, I think, measured about the bear game. Some might call it mean, but I think I was very measured about bear and breakfast. Uh, and I will I will stand it by It was that. a very cozy criticism, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've also been streaming. Uh, I was able to stream Grand Tactician Civil War, which I talked about uh, last last week. Um, and it's a niche stream, but I will say, stay around for the twist ending where uh, I just complain nonstop about how badly a battle is going and miss certain UI cues uh, <laughs> that might have made me feel differently about how the entire thing was unfolding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is it, it is a it is a showcase of exactly what some of that game does best. By the way, I also streamed a bunch of F122. I didn't again. You know what? The community didn't tell me that there's a bug that makes the AI too fast on straights. I thought I I like a bug, huh? There, no, it's a bug. It's real, Patrick. It's real. Okay. You can uh-huh. Google this now. Admittedly, I couldn't find video proof of people complaining about this bug, but it's known in the community that the AI drivers are just like way fucking faster on straights. So you can't like ever pull away from them and you can't catch them. And I think that explains a lot of what happened, including the spins, because I had to overdrive the car in corners to try and make up for, frankly, this broken uh, game balance. Patrick, speaking of broken game balance, 
seems like you're just going ham on Elden Ring. Uh, like there's uh, that game yeah, can't stop I, you. I, I, I yeah, I appear to be over leveled, even though I've played the game at a it feels like a normal pace. But yes, I, I, I yeah, I, I put another day's worth of work. Ate some uh, White Castle this time, uh, which God, was, I wish uh, there was White Castle near me. I missed uh, the oh. And I know you can uh, buy from the Frozen, but it's, they, they, it's like, not the same. It's better. It also it's, costs a million dollars. Yes. Um, yes. I'm continuing to play uh, Elden Ring and order horrific food uh, at lunch. And we we just finished on the most recent stream. We got all the way through the end of uh, the Capitol, um, which is so funny uh, without like getting into like explicit spoilers on the game. But it is very much a moment in which in this should just be the end of Elden Ring. And then they're like, I don't know. Should we just shove Elden Ring 2 in here? <laughs> like, we could make two games and just release them yeah. 18 months apart. Like, it no, just, like, cowards. it ends. Like, there is a definitive, like, sort of, a, you could you could conceive of this as an ending for a story that could continue. And instead it says, I don't know. We built, do you want to just, like, play this other game? Which we're going to get to uh, next week. And I'm I'm very excited to, to, see, uh, to see the icy, snowy stuff that people have been I've I've heard alluded to uh, in that game, but I have not seen for myself. So people listening to this also may have the chance if they are prompt or they'll can catch it uh, on the VOD. But uh, Ren's Blockbuster continues Mm -hmm. and you're revisiting some vintage. Well, not not the game itself is not vintage beef, but like the story around it is. What are we going to play, Ren? Too human. Yes. Motherfucker. Human. Where's I'm my so Choco excited. Taco? Uh, R.I.P. Uh, Choco Taco. But yeah, uh, so I guess we will, we will finally see uh, whether the game deserved all the strife it attracted. Uh, attracted. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so curious. I'm also so curious. When I played that game as a kid, it was like, oh yeah, this is good. This is fine. This is good. I don't know. This is a solid. Yeah, I was gonna say. Game. I feel, I feel like that's s- a mystery that Ren had to f- plug in later. To to, to to her was probably just an action game that she rented, not <laughs> one in which the caused inter- the internet full of strife um, as they wrestled yep. with uh, internet troll <laughs> Dennis Dyack. Yep. 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 Which yep, rules? Yep, yep. Which rules? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to checking that out. And for our Waypoint Plus listeners, uh, so again, Patrick and I uh, revisited Stranger Things uh, season four recently, and then very soon, Manhunting will return with uh, a look at Ali, uh, Michael Mann's biopic about uh, Muhammad Ali's career, uh, particularly his uh, ties to the civil rights movement and the internal strife of the Nation of Islam, and culminating uh, with the rumble in the jungle. Uh, so stick, stick around that for that. I think that'll be, uh, we're recording it next week. Uh, I don't know if we'll turn it around next week, but, uh, but we'll see. If that sounds good. If you just want more waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. That gives you access to our premium feed, but you are also helping support waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, and if you want to sh- support the show, uh, but also show a little, a little team spirit, uh, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone/boen. For now, we are calling time on this week. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I am so disappointed it was just a USB extension cord. Kato, I gotta be honest, (laughs) this is the one part where I was like, Kato surely must mean I need some sort of advanced, like all... All your like advanced equipment, you need some sort of hub, it'd be a really good one so it doesn't create like weird fucked up motherboard issues. Yeah. And you're like, here's my USB extension, I'm taping it to my desk. Yeah. Oh my god. And well, I was like, problem, well, time to start drinking. The problem <laughs> the problem is that I have two computers which need this one device, and the cable for this device is very short. So it had to go uh-huh. into oh my god. one and be there permanently. In such a way that I couldn't get to it easily. So swapping between my stream computer and my fucking podcasting computer, which is different, takes like 10 minutes of fucking moving shit around because it's all fucked up back there and tied together. And But now cable organized. now with a USB extender, I can't. You, Jesus it's a whole Christ. new life. Can't whole new life. Cannot believe you're a producer. What? <laughs> Why? I'm so angry. <laughs> Wow. This is literally the only wow. this is the solution. <laughs> I mean, means- admittedly, <laughs> admittedly, Kato, what? this is one of those things where it was like it was a USB extension. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> it's Kato, it's a bit like it's a bit like you had a valid parking permit, but instead of ever putting the sticker in your window. You just kept telling everybody, sorry, I got to move my car every two hours <laughs> to keep yeah. like moving into short-term, no! short-term spots. Also, every time you mention the three computers that you use, I yeah. do want to throw a rock through your window. <laughs> Look, I can, I two of these back. computers aren't mine, okay? I have one computer that's mine and two yeah, from funny work. how that works out. Funny how that works out. I've got all these computers and I just, I just can't make them work. I make them work. I make them all work. Right. They all work. And now they're they connected to a UPS that I can't accidentally uh, kick the button on. Damn right. All right. <laughs> Here we go. What's good, Internet? It's August 5th, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 499. Can it be? Number We're on big. the cusp of 500? Five we centuries we, we didn't of Waypoint. Clap. Yeah, no, don't clap. don't say anything. Don't <laughs> Did you just ask what we were playing by head of the pot? I mean, I don't. Okay, yeah, going, we're, we just going. jumped in. This is no, it. We're right. in the pot. Oh, Mister, Mister. Oh, oh, we get a now we're going and then Mister and then Mister Prep is out the window. Have a busy day. Fine. Let's go. Time to this. Cut Cut all this. Why? No. What? No. Why? I thought we started. Oh, because, oh, because it makes you seem messy. <laughs> I think we all seem pretty messy <laughs> over at over these last few minutes. Uh-huh. All right, I'm a time dot is. I never left. Never left. All right. Well, then we can all go on thirty five. 
And now, from the top.